as we all united in our tardiness of getting started, but we are now started. So here we go. Audio effects. We just got to skip the music and go right to the air horn. Oh, we need some music. Oh, not. We we got two wrapped up in in correcting Cheryl's crazy uh, translation English. of uh, English. United uh, abdomen muscles. So uh, <laughs> top story at the moment. Apple reported its uh, Q3 revenue. Q3. What are you what are you talking about? How can we report Q3? You, that, Apple Apple made a typo on their own website. Wow. They, are huh? they on a different are they on a different fiscal year? They are on a different fiscal year. It is their Q3. There you go. Thank you for that. So everyone else is reporting Q2 because technically Q2 is um January, March, April, May, June. And now we're getting the June, April, May, June results. But for Apple, that's their Q3. And it says uh, Apple reports their Q3 revenue as we're in what's called earning seasons right now, where all of the publicly listed companies are doing their uh, jumping in front of the class to share with the class how well they've done over the past three months. And then we can decide if their stock should go up or down. And Apple reports that for the past three months, the revenues of $81 billion, up 36% year over year since last year, with a net income of 21.7. So that's kind of the profits, and which is up from $11 billion last year. Wow, so they've doubled their profits since last year. Services sales of $17 billion. Wow. Up from 13 billion last year, and iPhone sales of 39 billion, revenue up 36% uh, to a new June quarter record services revenues. That's certainly something they're starting to focus on is more of the services because we're starting to max out on the hardware sales side of things to some extent. Because it's with each new iPhone release, the incremental improvement is diminishing. So there's less and less motive um, to get the next new device, right? Because between iPhone 1 and 2, there was a substantial improvement you know, in the diminishing returns. So there's diminishing motive. And so they know that, although with the M1 processors, there's quite a substantial reason to upgrade on all of the uh, laptops. And so they're, they're, they are seeing that. Anyway, uh, related articles to that is that Apple China sales in Q3 were up 58% year over year. America was up 33%. So there's they can still grow in some markets like China. And Apple warns that supply constraints due to legacy node chip production will be worse in Q4 than in Q3 and will likely affect sales on the iPhone and the iPad, meaning there's a chip shortage and they're going to not have as many iPhones and iPads next quarter. And Tyler, yes. can you give Cal the green button so that he can... Oh, I, th I thought I did the second he walked in. Thank you. I'll, please always remind me of that, everybody, if I fail to do that. Thank you. Mac and iPad sales break quarterly records of Q3 with Mac revenue up uh, $8, 8 billion or 16% year over year iPad revenue up 12% year over year. So that's their quarter reports. And then Microsoft just did their 
quarter report. And for them, it's Q4. <laughs> Not confusing at all, is it? And Google just did their reports, but they're back on Q2 like everybody else. So Microsoft up 21% year over year. And their cloud, which is which is where they're really focusing their efforts, is up 36% year over year. And then they bought LinkedIn and LinkedIn revenue is up 46%. And that's why they buy smaller companies, relatively smaller. I mean, LinkedIn is no small chicken, uh, but much smaller than Microsoft. And they need to buy companies that are growing and lots of them so they can continue to grow their bottom lines because it gets difficult to grow your bottom lines when you're as big as Microsoft and Apple and Google and, and Amazon and whatnot. And that's why they have to do lots of acquisitions. So, cause LinkedIn can still grow 46% where the bigger you get, the harder it is to maintain that level of double digit growth and global chip shortage dampens Microsoft's Q4 quarter surface revenue. So the, the chip shortage is already impacting Microsoft and next quarter for Apple. And then Google reports their quarterly reports revenue up uh, 62% year over year, which is huge. Uh, and their operating income year over year. Google, and then their focus is also their cloud. So it says Google Cloud operating loss is down and the stock up 2% after hours because that was a rather strong quarterly earnings report, which I didn't predict here in tech news around the world, but I predicted internally. And I it, we had very every read the indicators that led to a rather safe prediction that they were going to beat the market estimates on this quarter was because the just add uh, Snapchat had a fantastic quarter, for example. And Snapchat is based on ad revenues. That's how they make their money. And that gave a really strong indication that we were watching a lot of ads in the past three months during COVID. And so Apple, I'm sorry, Google being based on a lot of ads, it was a safe in Snapchat's, you know, significantly strong quarter reports based on ads gives you some indication that people were watching a lot of ads and Google's all about ads. And so indeed, it just the, the numbers just came in. And indeed, uh, we did watch a whole lot of Google ads <laughs> over the past three months, and it's up 62% year over year. And that's why it had a, a nice uptick after their report. YouTube reports $7 billion in Q2 ad revenue, up 84% year over year. And that was also kind of a no-brainer that we've watched a lot more YouTube than in the past, over the past uh, three months. And says that it's Shorts feature, which is their new way to compete with TikTok. Uh, YouTube Shorts, they're now pushing. In, has, there, has anyone else seen? I, I see it now inside of my YouTube app where they're promoting their little TikTok competitor of, you know, two minute little cat videos. Um, and YouTube, yeah, their ad revenue up 84% year over year. Gosh, that's a lot. That's a lot of growth in one year for YouTube because they're already quite mature. You know, they've been around for quite a while. It's not like, you know. Um, uh, it's literally all the little kids that are trapped at home watching yep. like yep. the YouTube videos and stuff. It's a lot of that. Yeah. And that's why I said it. I, I think people underestimated because when I saw the Snapchat earnings, I was like, oh, exactly what Chris said. That's a lot of kids stuck on their phones the past three months. No, there's something else with YouTube that I've mentioned before. What's up, They're Chris? actually one of the bigger providers of um, 
where you can get, you know, traditional, whatever you want to call it, television, you know, if you cut the, your cable cord, yeah. rather than getting Hulu, or I mean, it, it, a lot of people have YouTube, YouTube, YouTube TV. Great point. And that's, that wasn't a, a business for them several years ago. Yeah. Right. Great point. That's a great, great point. Is and By the way, as many people, you know, are cutting their, uh, so for many people, they are cutting their, you know, um, expenses like their cable TV because YouTube is certainly becoming a viable replacement to that. And indeed that. Um, and, and, it, a big, and a big push, right? This is their big push, the NBA uh, uh, tournament this year. I mean, that was, it was all YouTube. I can, I don't know if you watched any of that, but it was all YouTube ads, right? YouTube TV ads. They're promoting this like crazy this year. Mm -hmm. Probably one of their big growth, uh, growth vehicles. Yeah. Well, the, it says on the YouTube shorts, they're trying to do all three simultaneously, in, but the YouTube shorts, which is their version of TikTok, has now 15 billion global daily views up from half of that in March. So they've doubled in the past three or four months, the amount, which is because they're pushing it right in the front page of the app. When you load, you know, if you use the native YouTube app or if you go into YouTube, they're trying to push people into the little short content because they're in a, a battle for your eyeballs uh, with TikTok and with TV. And I've shared the story many times, but when YouTube, the startup that Jason and I were doing back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, we were starting as a search engine. We pivoted into and we were trying to build a search engine and Google uh, changed their algorithms to defeat us <laughs> very handedly. And our investors were Sequoia Capital and Elon Musk. And they were our board members, in fact. And our board member from Sequoia is Roloff Botha, who I cannot speak highly enough about. He's absolutely genius. He's also on the board of Square and a bunch of other fantastic companies. I have to look up. It's, he's he's he's. It, Having Roloff on, as a board member and Elon Musk as a board member, they're both from South Africa. They're both friends from, from you know early you know late childhood. And Roloff was the CFO at PayPal when Elon was the CEO. So they, they're South Africans and they were the CEO and CFO at PayPal concurrently. So they're dear friends. And I can tell you, everyone would think, oh, my God, you had Roloff. I mean, you had you had Elon Musk as your board member. What was that like? I was like, honestly, Roloff was the real uh, brain at the table uh, at the in the board meetings. And Roloff never ceased to impress both in terms of intellectual, you know, prowess and just what a what an incredible professional individual always the first to show up hours early always the last to leave hours after did the did the after you know dinner after the day of board meetings and then he would stay you know what what just an incredible individual and and um a real strength at sequoia on, on their team and um not a surprise i mean he but by the way he was the kind of leading investor in youtube and from the beginning, so he was with YouTube quite early, helped the acquisition, you know, the sale to Google. And because of, you know, sharing that common board member with YouTube, when we were needing to pivot uh, the company, because Google effectively beat us in our race to be a search engine, you know, part, in part due to Roloff's, uh, you know, implications, we went into video production very strongly in, in, in a, in a, in a, in a, 
you would call it a content mill. You know, we were a video, became YouTube's first, you know, massive video production. We had raised $20 million and we have the money and now we've got a huge team. What are we going to do with our resources? Let's start making tons of videos for YouTube because YouTube was getting bombarded with brands who wanted to promote on YouTube, but they didn't really have a plan for that yet. There was no advertising on YouTube yet at the time, just like Clubhouse no doubt has now where they've got a ton of brands who want to engage with Clubhouse, but they don't haven't haven't formally structured that yet. And so, you know, we said, oh, we're, we're going to make tons of content for you, just like we could a, a company who raised $20 million could make tons of content for a Clubhouse as well and make, you know, 500 new clubs and 500. New, and more importantly, YouTube was telling us what kind of content to make because they knew the brands, you know, they were getting hit by particular uh, brands uh, that wanted particular content to advertise with. So they said, please make cooking videos, you know, please make, you know, videos about gardening, you know, so we did. And, and then the ads were easy to put on top. And no doubt you're going to see Clubhouse, you know, when, when Paul's in the, in the town hall meetings and he's like, you know what we'd like to see, we'd like to see shows about, you know, this or that or that. I was like, well, that, that might be informed by the fact that there's big brands that are wanting to come in and they're looking for that kind of content. So, um, anyways, we did do that and we became YouTube's first paid partner as a beta. And in fact, I was, I ran that part of the company. So, you know, we started out with me on a guitar doing Radiohead videos just as a little test and, uh, you know, testing the switches and the panel and the back end about monetization and everything. And so in fact, my personal YouTube account was the first person, first YouTube uh, paid creator. And it was a lot of fun doing that with YouTube. And yeah, it was it was fantastic. And it's been fantastic to watch it grow. But I say all this because in those meetings, they revealed to us in 2009 or eight even. Yeah, eight that, you know, we are, you know, you know us as YouTube today. But what we really want to do is compete with television. And they said that is just like I just said it to you right now is, hey, listen, uh, we're no longer interested. We beat all of our competitors in the little, you know, web video space of Daily Motion and Flip TV and Rever and the other platforms that existed. Vimeo, and, which is now a separate public company. By you the way. know, your great point, Ken. Vimeo is one that managed to exist somewhat uh, because of their connection to IAC and Barry Diller. So they did manage to survive that era. Pretty much everyone else got wiped out uh, during that time, and including yeah, Vio, uh, Dimitri Shapiro, who went over to Google to run their Google Circles, their their social media platform that um, didn't manage to sustain itself. But anyway, so w after they had entrenched themselves as the dominant player in web video, they said, yeah, we, we want to take on TV. And they've had that vision ever since 2008, very concretely. And they they needed longer form content. And they wanted us to produce longer form content, 30 minute content, hour long content, and to compete with TV. So that's not a surprise. And they have eaten a lot of TV eyeballs. And that you have to imagine for a startup to say, we want to compete with TV. That's like wildly ambitious, although they were part of Google at that time. So it wasn't that surprising that they were that ambitious but now it's interesting to see not only are they trying to get the long form content of not only tv but movies but now they're going into the super short form content which kind of i think 
caught them a little by surprise because they didn't really perceive Instagram or or even Snapchat as much of a threat, but they do perceive TikTok as a threat. And so, and they should, because TikTok is growing faster than they are and gaining market share in the time of your eyeballs. And this is the main point, which is you have only 24 hours a day and you only have, I don't know, 16 hours a day to consume content with those two eyeballs that you have. And so there is a race for to, to get that 16 hours a day of your attention. And TikTok is getting some of those hour, minutes per day, average viewer time. And how many minutes per day you're inside of YouTube. And if you, it's not easy for you to be in YouTube and TikTok simultaneously. So um, that's why they you know, are doing YouTube shorts. Because at the same time they're adding this YouTube shorts, TikTok is adding longer videos. So they're clearly, uh, and they're not the only ones. Instagram's going to longer videos. They're all going to longer videos. They're all going into live stream. That was a headline yesterday, was it not, uh, Mahogany, where you shared an article that TikTok's going into live streaming. And yes. Right. So we read that article yesterday, and that's been a prediction of mine for many months now, because they're all going to go into video and very notably live streaming because they're all about to and they all all are right now showing screenshots uh, that we saw yesterday from TikTok, where not only are they going into live streaming but they're going into live streaming that the customer the viewer can engage with the live streamer and message them uh, and more importantly buy products that are in the videos in real time without leaving the platform because of that my friends is the mega golden goose cash cow that they've all been waiting for. And not just the platforms have been waiting for, but now the this creator economy, when you hear Zuckerberg say, the CEO of Facebook, that Facebook's going to be a platform for millions of people to make a living, not, not thousands of people to make a little pocket change, but millions of people to make a living, it's because... That is happening in Southeast Asia, as Lakeisha and I watch with great fascination every day. There are people making apps, not only livings, but very lucrative livings doing live streaming e-commerce here in Southeast Asia. And it absolutely is a real job. And it's a very lucrative job for the people who do it very well. And it is thousands of people and it eventually will be millions of people that do this. This will become the way that people sell stuff. It will replace your garage yard sale it will replace uh because the audience of your little i don't do people well we do have yard sales in tokyo in yoyogi park actually every weekend um and that's kind of cool because you do get tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people walking past your your little you know two meter by two meter blanket in yoyogi park on the weekends it's as i fondly remember live you know uh, and that's a fantastic Alternative, but in the U.S., you know, we have these things called yard sales where people put all their junk in their front yard and people come by and, and buy that stuff. But it's so much more effective to do that online, especially when the items that you're selling in the live stream are now recognized by the camera's algorithms. The app says, oh, you're selling, you know, a, a blender. And we happen to know everybody who's been trying to buy a blender in the last four days in your neighborhood right so so, so yeah. tyler as you know like yard sales in the u.s is usually people are cleaning out their house they're right. not necessarily you know price conscious you know, right business but but i was just thinking when you mentioned that 
what what this could actually replace is flea markets because people totally. who sell sell stuff at flea markets, yeah. that's a that's a regular routine recurring Correct. business. Yeah, but it's it's not just that's a great point, Ken. It's and by the way, the the Japanese Tokyo Park thing I was referring to is much more like a flea market because it's there every week. It's just that it's free; you don't have to pay to be a seller there. And um, you're right; it's an, it's going to replace all of it. Because here's why: because the the web platforms know, Google knows, Facebook knows if you're in the market to buy a blender, right? Because you've done a search for a blender on some platform on some website and they have a cookie of that and they know you're in the market for a blender. So what if, you know, you know, let's say Jay is on a live stream and he's trying to sell a blender in his live stream. Well, wouldn't it be smart if the app could see due to machine learning, he's holding up a blender for sale and sends out a notification to everybody in the, in the app or the platform who had done a search for a blender. And now you're getting a notification that, Hey, somebody's selling a blender for, you know, right now live in this live stream and you can imagine the impact that that's going to have is now now it would be stupid for you to go sell your blender in front of your house to the 10 people walking by when the platform's helping you connect with the 500 people in in your delivery area who are specifically looking for a blender so this is just to emphasize the power of the data is, is a totally unfair advantage and a benefit to everybody involved because Jay's going to get much more money for his blender than he would have to the 10 people walking in front of his house on Saturday. And the people who are looking for a blender now have an interesting, you know, alternative to paying, you know, Amazon for the blender or whoever, you know, the, the full price of a, of a, of a new blender. And it's going to be wild. It's going to take over every small, you just it due to the power of that, that live, streaming of selling and the stuff that Lakeisha and I see on a day-to-day basis of people selling, they're selling everything. There's nothing you can imagine that people aren't selling through these live streams. And it's, um, it's, you know, it's a lot of fruits. It's a lot of uh, makeup. It's a lot of clothes. It's a lot of everything. And then people do follow when, when they see somebody who sells good stuff, at good prices, you know, they follow them just like you follow people on Twitter, or on Facebook, whatever. And not a coincidence, Spotify 24 hours ago just announced their new kind of notification system where you're going to get notified of new podcast episodes that come out and new artist releases. And no doubt, all of those content creators on Spotify's platform are also going to be selling stuff metallica is going to now be an e-commerce shop on their metallica spotify page and they're going to sell the thousands of t-shirts that they you know produce over the years and it's an e-commerce shop and then you'll likely not only be able to buy all of their merchandise but their upcoming real concert ticket sales their virtual concert ticket sales their vr concert ticket sales where they set up a 360 cameras inside of their rehearsal space which every notable band has a a warehouse where they rehearse in and they're gonna rig it up with cameras and then they could you could you know go into their rehearsal space every day if you want because a lot of bands rehearse nearly every day uh when they're not on tour so uh, that could be a fantastic revenue opportunity for bands that they don't currently have which is this to become e-commerceified and we're seeing the headlines in the past 48 hours of Shop uh, Spotify's announcement, which is a partnership with Shopify, with TikTok's announcement, 
uh, yesterday that they're going into live stream with conversations with the buyers. And it's this whole thing, you know, that, that uh, again, that we see here. In Another South headline, uh, Tyler, yeah. yesterday, just yeah. supporting that. Uh, your friend Sebastian from Clara. Yes, Klarna. Klarna. Klarna adds to retail support services with another social commerce acquisition. Right. And it's uh, April, APPRL, US yes, member. That, which and, is a Swedish yeah. startup as well. Yeah. Apparel, it's oh, called. It? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, can, yeah. can I tickle the brain on something about the social media or sorry, social commerce that maybe we haven't talked as much about Yeah, with um, what's going on in China with the crackdown on, you know, like big, big time ed tech. Do you think that tutoring over, you know, social commerce is something that's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. That'll, I, I think tutoring um, can be a lot done over, uh, uh, like like social audio like clubhouse with a whiteboard they could be fit. yes Tyler okay. that's really interesting you just said that because all through the pandemic a few when we when like all the yoga teachers and all the people that worked as a service they went straight to think for VIP kids they went straight to teach for VIP kids in China to teach English to Chinese children yep and also much of the yoga teachers just went online, but they also started like doing whatever they could do. Teaching online, I think, is something that's been there as a blended learning component. But I think now this is just making the more hybrid blended learning version more, more adequate, like more formalized. Like yeah. before it used to be like, no, they need to come in the, the room, in the classroom. But now you could do it with a whiteboard and Zoom and Google Meets and Google Teach. So there's a lot of tools now. And being in the change, the understanding instructional development, this is massive because then this allows people to work from anywhere and also from a change management perspective for companies. Same thing with trainers. I mean, I do VTLs for SAP for like about seven years now. They've been doing VTLs for a long time, which is virtual yeah. led trainings, VLTs actually. Yeah. So uh, Cal's right. And Cal, I had not seen the headline that uh, Klarna had acquired apparel, which is spelled A-P-P-R-L, as you said. And apparel has been kicking some butt. It's a very young startup in in Stockholm, and um, but uh, you know, and their office is just down the street from Klarna, actually. <laughs> uh, but now Klarna is you know is a huge, well, the second biggest fintech in the world, um, and at a they're so approaching forty billion valuation. Stripe is more like a hundred billion valuation, but. Uh, yeah, Klarna is really starting to ramp up. They've been doing acquisition. Uh, that's about their third one in the past three weeks. Yeah, and you know what? I feel like they're just really listening to their a lot of. I, I know they're put in the bucket of just another finance um, company, and there's all the risks to do with that. I get that, right? Mm -hmm. Like Wonga, and you know, uh, got to be ethical. Make sure you don't lend to people and and get them into trouble. Mm -hmm. But they're a different company. I've started to like really create a thesis about it based on what you're saying, Tyler, is that they really are listening to their, their customer and working out the experience. So their customers are telling them, hey, listen, you know, we want, we want the social uh, interactive commerce thing, right? Yeah. So they're building that capability and making that part of their customer experience. Yeah, I know Martin, the CEO of Apparel, is a sweet, sweet guy. He come used to come to all my events, and in fact, we kind of collaborated briefly when, before he started Apparel, he was at a, a digital agency that I worked together with him on my events, <clears throat> and um, just I couldn't be happier for him. So, congrats to Martin 
uh, for selling to uh, and congrats to Klarna. Like <clears throat> they're they're certainly ramping up their toolkit of products and services to really seize this huge social commerce opportunity, which apparel fits right into. And um, yeah, and I, uh, on Chris's uh, perspective uh, on tutors, I, I have to have a little bit of a um, so full full disclosure. There's a company called Scoodle, S C O O D L E. If you look at the guy that uh, invited me into Clubhouse, he's the founder, right? So uh, and it's been it's been in uh, Biz Stone, uh, a Twitter investor, a t- Twitter co-founder founder invested in it too. Yeah, yeah. So Biz Stone, we we got. Um, uh, we got uh, 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 him, the founder, connected to Bizstone uh, here in in the Oxford Incubator, and so I'm I'm kind of invested in it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But Scoodle um, now, if you go to their website, you'll see that they're moving towards uh, creating uh, tutors as celebrities and content creators, right? So this is moving in, the, in that exact direction that Chris was just alluding to. I mean, it's and, like and even and even by the way, Chris, one second, even faster because I'm because. Literally, I'm listening to it here. I mean, I can't say this better. I talk to Ishmael. We talk about what we're learning here. And so he's moving because this is a startup. They shape themselves, right, based on what's going on. So, yeah, you're dead right, Chris. My little two-year-old boy, like one day we're pulling out of a car and I'm like, oh, hey, there's an excavator. And he looks at me. He's like, that's not an excavator, dad. That's a backhoe, you know, and I'm I'm like, (laughs) you know, I'm like, how do you know that? Right. (laughs) You know? And it's these these videos on YouTube, you know. Yeah, and the other the other point I wanted to pick up on, Tyler, you mentioned the Sequoia guy earlier. I, I just think roll off and yeah, and then Cal, you mentioned Klarna and, and this other this uh, or we're talking about Klarna and this other startup in Oxford. I think there's a theme running through it. I like it's the people that make the the company that make the DNA that really kind of. Um, make the attractiveness for the investors and for the people buying into it. And I just want to quote this guy, Rudolph, right? He's, he's, he's got a really interesting background, I think, Tyler, and yeah. he's studied actuarial science. Yeah. And he, he, here's a little quote. He says, accountants are trained to think one year in arrears. Actuaries are trained to think 25 years in the future. And for me, that, that just sums up these guys who are, who are really thinking that far into the future, who then like plot a vision and then like grab everyone and take them with them. So Martin, I just noticed from Apparel Follows Me on Clubhouse. So I just back channeled him to see if he'll pop in the room and tell us about the acquisition. Anyway. Um, I just quickly wanted to give a little bit perspective uh, yeah. if you have time for it. Um, you know, I've been doing live streaming for like almost three, four years now um, on the Facebook. And uh, obviously when these uh, all these apps came out, like uh, StreamYard and it was uh, BeLive before that. And similar thing, what you do with the club deck, like actually, you know, the streams going on different places. That's you I used to do. Now, one thing I realized is over the time, like now all these big players are actually moving towards the social commerce. And we've been discussing this yeah. like in this room for a number of months now, um, there is this adjustment, this change management has to happen. So for instance, just to give you an idea, like in terms of the actual Facebook, now the Facebook Live actually goes to the actual fans and the followers. It doesn't go, it doesn't broadcast to everybody and anybody. Not yet. So so when you actually do that on a Facebook, similar thing, if you want to actually sell something, it's not catered for it. Whereas the YouTube has got this monetization model when 
you know, you go and then you have the actual adverts played into it. This is like broadcasted to pretty much everyone out there. So you see that, okay, this X, Y, Z streams or these are many people are live now. So whoever is on the YouTube actually gets there in their feed. Whereas the Facebook is sort of like more sort of, um, you know, making money on the you going there and then putting the advertisement out, which people see in their timeline. So I think there's going to be a major headache for the, you know, all the platforms to sort of like do this change management that are how going to they transform that into something which is going to be catered for the social commerce. And it's not going to be easy for each platform. So it's going to be very different perspective for each one of them. So they all, they all know that. what they need to do, though. Um, and it's, it's what I was describing is the real secret sauce is, of course, who should be seeing this live stream? It's the same issue that Clubhouse has, which is discovery, which is why, you know, you hear, you know, that you hear the founder say every week in the town hall meeting and we're focused on discovery, 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 because discovery is the key thing that will determine who wins the race. And it's why TikTok is eating some of YouTube's, you know, mark, eyeball share because they have the best discovery algorithm. They give you the best next piece of content to watch, which keeps you in the app. It's a, it's a race to see who can give you the most compelling thing to see, which keeps you in the app. And, you know, you have the audio equivalent of that battle going on now between Clubhouse and Spotify and, you know, uh, whoever else is in the podcasting space, whatever. It's a battle for your ear time. And the whoever has the best recommendation of the next um, it's a con combination of you have to have good content and the best recommendation. But if you have truly fantastic recommendation, um, you know, you'll the person will stay there. And um, but you do need, you, you know, you could have the best uh, discovery system in the world. But if you don't have good content to show them, then, of course, you're screwed. But assuming you build up a, a minimum viable amount of content, then it comes down to who has the best discovery algorithms. And so they know that. And so it, it applies today with the photos battle between Instagram and Snapchat. And then it applies in the video race between TikTok and YouTube. They will all start crossing over each other and become omni, you know, content in, in terms of photo. Uh, I, although I don't think YouTube will do photos, but short form video, call it, call it, you know, one minute, two minute videos, longer form videos, which is sort of the classic six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minute videos, the 30 minute TV episodic stuff, the longer form, you know, movie, 90 minute format and everything in between. And then, of course, the live streams with the live streams is not brand new to them, certainly not to YouTube, certainly not to Facebook, certainly not to uh, Instagram is more relatively new and TikTok. It's just starting. But they need to then and this is where it gets crazy. They they have to build their image recognition um, systems so that they, they can tell what the products are in the videos and in the photos in real time. They've got that. They got to train it to get really good to recognize that Cheryl, that, you know, who was it? Jay is trying to sell a blender and what model blender is that that he's holding up in that thing? And maybe they'll use a combination of the audio and the and the image to because they can hear Jay explain in terms of audio what kind of blender it is. And that's going to be even additional co important context to determine the discoverability, because as soon as we realize, ah, OK, this is Jay, he's in this location, 
he's live streaming. Okay, what is his del potential delivery area? And as Lakeisha says, she gets live stream videos from uh, Australia, Singapore. So, you know, they're, they're going quite large regionally at the moment. As this expands over the next 10 years, that those regions will condense because you don't necessarily need to know people selling stuff in, in another country when somebody, you know, in your own country is selling it. But for the time being, the regions are quite large because this is still quite nascent uh, technology. Uh, and so when Bla that, that whoever is able to unlock the image recognition and audio and getting the context around the products that are being sold in these live streams in real time is going to make a trillion dollars. That's going to become a trillion dollar company. Because hey, Tyler, this, yeah, wouldn't you need uh, to know for regions though, because of either VAT taxes or sales taxes, right. depending on what jurisdiction we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I mean. Is right now they're uh, going beyond, you know, borders, and I think over time, because once you get a hundred thousand live streams or a million live streams happening simultaneously, which we will get to, no, unquestionably, <clears throat> that then you don't need to know about the live streams that are happening in other countries because you're going to have so many to choose from. It's it's that content. Remember, I was talking about that you have to have a minimum viable amount of content to power the discovery. Once you build the discovery engine, that's great. But you also it's a you need the a, an appropriate amount of content for people to discover. And right now there isn't enough. And that's why they're sending her videos, live stream videos from Australia and Singapore. Over time, as the number of local, you know, she's in Bangkok, as the number of Bangkok live streams, you know, become 100,000, they won't really need to send her the videos from those areas, assuming that there are people closer to her that are selling the same uh, relative stuff. So, yeah. And so Tyler, I think that's why, just, I think that's why the Spotify, you remember we had the whole rumble of like early May, everyone, you know, Green Room opened up, Spotify we had like hours of discussion in this room and then I'm reflecting on your two points, Tyler, discoverability versus content. Like what, what would be, what's your hypothesis as to why there hasn't been like a big migration over to Spotify at this point? It's pure. Yeah. It's pure audio. There is Spotify's kicking ass, but if they're a purely audio only platform for the time being, they did bring in Shiva from YouTube who was like head of, you know, the product for YouTube for many years and so what were they thinking there? Um, and I knew Shiva from YouTube. And then when he came over to Stockholm, we became friends. And now he's running, guess what? Head of commerce at Facebook. Oh, boy. What do you think he's doing there? <laughs> <laughs> so and I didn't know this, and uh, that he had moved over to Facebook until Michelle on stage pings me in my DMs and says, <clears throat> hey, Mark Zuckerberg's going to do a, <clears throat> a live audio room in 30 minutes talking about the future of social commerce. I'm like, oh, great. And she sends a screenshot of the room because it's just him and two other people on stage. And one of them's <clears throat> Shiva. And I'm like, what the hell is Shiva doing on stage with Mark Zuckerberg? She's like, oh, he's our head of commerce now. I'm like, oh, shit. Wow. Um, oh, by the way, in between Spotify and, and um, Facebook, he did a, 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 a short stint at WeWork as the head of product for WeWork because he was building out this whole platform of digital products that WeWork was going to get into before they kind of, you know, uh, cratered, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, economically. Uh, so, kind of Tyler, I wanted IPO. to actually yeah. make, 
Yeah, I wanted to exactly specific point, like on the discovery point of view. So Facebook is very well placed in terms of the actual geographics. So they've been doing it for like last three, four years now in terms of the actual advertisements. Oh, hey, uh, Karam, you, hold that thought. Michelle, yeah. mm -hmm. you remember Shiva said he had to go on vacation. No doubt. Ah, Martin joined the room. Fantastic. But we got it. We got remember we, Michelle and I were chatting in the DMs with Shiva after the after his live audio room with Mark Zuckerberg and said, hey, we do this thing in Clubhouse. Why don't you join us in Clubhouse? And he says, I'm going on vacation next week. But sounds interesting. So we need to follow up with him and uh, invite him. That would be very cool. That'd be fantastic. Sorry to interrupt you, Karam, but my buddy Martin from Apparel sure. just jumped in the room. Uh, which was just in the headlines today. So, Martin, please raise your hand if you can. Oh, there you go. And let's welcome Martin from Apparel, which was one of our headlines that Cal shared about 30 minutes ago. So, Martin, we were just talking about the future of shopping and commerce and so what we call social commerce and how all the platforms are now racing each other because they realized it's no longer about getting likes and 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 clicks and hearts and followers it's about selling products you know socially and and, a, and so it was a very pleasant surprise to see that uh, our friend sebastian <laughs> and, the, and the team at klarna decided to bring you into the fold over there so first of all just a congratulations to you my friend and um but, well done. Well done. Yeah. So good morning. Uh, Thanks so much, Tyler. I know, I know it's morning time in Stockholm for you, but um, tell tell us what's on your mind. Uh, what's what's you know it's a, such a huge, fantastic new space of uh, social commerce and uh, anything that you'd like to share. Just love to give you the floor to hear your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Th thanks, Tyler. And yeah, I, I was a bit late on your on your DM here. I took the liberty of sleeping out a little bit. It was a lot of work of the last well I months. <laughs> um, but, uh, but 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 yeah, no. I mean, I think we're super super excited about joining Klarna. Uh, when it comes to social commerce, I mean, I, I, as you know, the the social giants are going to commerce and. Klarna is obviously coming the, from the other way. They're going from commerce to social, right? Exactly. Well said. Um, so, so it's it's uh, you know it's the same I, th I think market of the analysis. Uh, although I think Klarna has a super exciting position in the ecosystem, being a well payment solution, a bank, which is you know uh, perceived as the opposite of being a bank and just making really bold bets in well within whatever you want to call it social commerce, marketing, uh, media services, uh, and I think overall their mission is basically to be the best possible growth partner to their clients mm -hmm. uh, and they're thinking very big about that and so so for me personally and the team i think you know now we will just be able to well exponentially grow out our product and right. offering to you know to, you know, to their 250,000 merchants to, uh, and just put so much more resources behind kind of our well our offering so yeah, yeah we're we're super excited yeah, as as you should be. It's fantastic. It, I put a it put a huge smile on my face. I can imagine what it, the smile you had on your face when you finalized that. And um, I guess we'll be. I, you're going to keep the brand though, I guess, of apparel and um, going forward, or how's that going to work? You think? I don't think so. Actually, oh, I mean, okay. we uh, we um, for now it's it's apparel. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I would I would think it be, will become part of uh, yeah just kind of Klarna world growth ah. uh, services. Uh, ah. the, 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 the typical branding is not 
uh, it's not set, uh, it's not decided. Mm. But um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's gonna be something within Klarna. Is, mm-hmm. is what I uh, what well, that, what in a way that that speaks that it's more fundamental to. Uh, it's in a way that's perceived as a sort of compliment because mm. it means it's, they're going to integrate mm. it very deeply. <laughs> exactly. And, and there are very interesting things to kind of uh, integrate it with yeah. within Klarna, which I can't go into too sure. much detail, but obviously they have, they have payments, for example, and there's a lot of other thoughts around e- ecosystem. I think what's, what's cool about Klarna is that they have, well, almost like a three-sided <laughs> we will enable us to get a three-sided marketplace because you, you, you have the you, influencers, you, the creators on the one hand, you have yep. the merchants, and then you also have the consumers. That's This is what we keep talking about in this room. And it's fantastic to hear you jump in cold right out of the ice bath and say and confirm it, precisely the same kind of perspective. Um, and then mm. you, you said something truly profound, uh, uh, which is the power of being a, a bank right now because Klarna is doing something that traditional mm. banks are just totally asleep about. And you're right. They're coming at it from the other end. The, the social, you said it perfectly. The, the social platforms are going to become e- e-commercified to some degree. And <clears throat> that involves finance. That certainly plays into that. And then so yeah. when Square all is similar to Klarna in this regard in that they are kind of a they have their banking license now. And 24 hours after they got their banking license, they acquired Tidal which is a, 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 a content creator platform in the audio form. And then that begs the question, will Spotify need to e-commerceify and connect with a bank at some point? And, you know, all of because there, it's again, it's about creators and uh, c- consumers. Spotify's got both of those. The part they're missing is the finance banking part. So we could see. Spotify partnering with a bank, which, by the way, Klarna is a bank, and it gets very, very interesting to see how this landscape is going to evolve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, that's obviously a huge, huge question. I've, I have no idea if Spotify is like intending to be be a bank or partner up, but but obviously, fintech, you know, everything fintech has kind of grown even more than, than right. other things. Right. Digital, I think in, yeah. in the past past year. So adding that component will be a natural part, I think, as yeah. everything goes more and more digital into, into e-commerce for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and VR as well, because people think of VR as just, you know, playing video games, but the in AR, but the, the e-commerce potential in AR is just mind blowing as well, <clears throat> especially, mm. you know, walk, yeah. walking around town with AR glasses and, you know, being able to buy the shoes on somebody on the subway or something. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think what's interesting, Martin, I mean, about, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, uh, no, just just the final comment was uh, that I thought of, I think what's interesting is that I mean the social platforms. I mean they have been trying to put buy buttons on their content for I think ten plus ten years. Yeah, and it still ha- and like it's it still hasn't happened. Uh, it's not something. I mean they it, every other year there's a big push towards commerce i think now is the biggest push we've seen so far but in a way it's amazing that that no one really succeeded from pinterest who is so like product and shopping focused to facebook to yeah instagram and and, and youtube like it ha- it's not a thing yet yeah so it's let's just, see if it's, if it's a thing yeah we're just seeing the headlines in the past week or two where like shopify and pinterest just uh and you know they're they're partnering up and yeah. a lot of it's Shopify. I feel like Shopify is in a really good position 
and partnering with these social media platforms to e-commerceify themselves. But it, it, to me, we were just before you came in here, we were talking about how it's about recognizing the products inside of the content, whether it be a photo or a video or a live stream, and then uh, getting that to the right people at the right time. So, for example, if somebody next to you on stage and let me see, refresh the page so I can see who you're sitting next to at the moment. So if um, if Aaron next to you is live streaming, you know, his shoes, then ideally the algorithms will be able to detect which shoes those are and they ideally know who's been searching for those shoes and they can you know just they know everyone within his delivery area who might want his shoes and be able to recommend hey you might want to see this live stream right now this guy's selling his shoes and i hopefully that live stream becomes a video after the fact and they can just say you know this guy's selling the shoes you were looking for right now and it, it's 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 going to become wild and truly I think quite disruptive to traditional um, brick and mortar stores when the amount of e-commerce that's exploding as a result of, you know, just like health tech, like our friend uh, at um, uh, Johannes at Cree, like med tech just and, and e-commerce are just really exploding post uh, COVID. Yeah. So anyway, may, may I ask one uh, I don't know if ta- uh, Cal was to go before. Yeah. Oh, oh no, I was. I was just. Uh, no, Martin. Congratulations. I was just gonna say that uh, as soon as we uh, shared the headline on here, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, Tyler was just. I could. I could almost see the smile on his face, and uh, <laughs> and he said some. And, he, yes. and yeah, I could. I could. I could sense it, right? And also, yeah. also his uh, uh, compliments about you as a person. So congratulations, my friend. I mean, it's just. Um, uh, just a quick thing. I imagine. Thanks right, so much. The, no, no, you're welcome. Um, huge respect. I mean, seriously. Uh, but I just I imagine as a uh, building these kind of tools in in this kind of context of the world where you know uh, the content creation and the tools around you know social shopping are are off a lot of value to the big platforms. I, I and I imagine you had a you were in demand, right? So so on that also congratulations. And I think picking a one of the platforms that was interested in you. Um, and, but, you know, I imagine that your tools were also valuable to lots of other platforms, right? Yeah, I think Klarna had a head start because they're down the street from each other, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They are. We, we were starting a yeah, more commercial collaboration and then we got to know each other even better. Um, well, it's because you started to develop a brand that, you know, Swedes know, you know, people in Scandinavia started to know apparel. So it was like, of course, Klarna was got to know it before. Uh, yeah. And if had they kept going, no doubt, you know, you'd start to see other American players, you know, step in and realize, oh, you know. But I, I think it, to Martin's point, Klarna is because, you know, the team there is so clever. Sebastian's, you know, clever as you know, as hell that. They are, as Martin said, they're coming at it from the other end. They're actually kind of a, 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 a fintech that's recognized the opportunity and coming from the op- opposite direction. He said it perfectly. You have, it's all about, can you get uh, the combination of the finance piece? It's a kind of a little jigsaw puzzle. And he said it, it's the, con- the, the consumers, the sellers, and the commerce. And how do you put those pieces together and Klarna just happens to be a finance piece that's you know um 
going after the the consumer piece and and the and the the e-commerce piece, the selling piece, the sellers and whatnot, and, and the influencers, as Martin said, in, the influencers are this creator economy are really part of the driving factor. And um, and by the way, the social platforms are competing for the influencers now because they realize this is going to be a wild bonanza of a race because whoever's got all of the we even see campaigns like uh, YouTube had, you know, some millions of dollars set aside for creators and TikTok now has a new fund to for BIPOC creators. Um, it's going to be a battle for who's going to get the creators to sell on their platform. So I, sorry, I interrupted you, Martin. Um, I'm not sure you did, uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, in, exactly. It's back. The content is still king, I guess, and it will continue to, to be. Um, I don't think there was a, <laughs> I was on the way to say something specifically. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump, jump okay. back uh, do it. So, soon here, guys. Yeah, but, do it. Uh, th Th thanks so much for pinging me, Tyler, and happy yeah. to speak more. And uh, yeah. happy to be here. Thanks, man. Nice. Enjoy the summer. Hopefully see you in the fall. Thanks. You too. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Yes. T All right. Take care. Two All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Tyler, the quick point I was going to make about um, Martin's business is I think um, one of his key differentiators is this whole area of um, Mori, you know, marketing return on investment mm -hmm. and the point that Cal makes on tools, right? Because, you know, if you look at the, the, the feature set, it's like the, as an influencer, you can see all your numbers, your clicks, your all, all of that kind of dashboard piece. So I think I just find that like quite a cool part of the product. And I think, you know, to the point of the integration deep inside Klarna, I would imagine that they're going to make that fire on all cylinders to your original thesis of like, you know, the cookies, the buys, the AI, the, using the data. So, no, that was cool. You got them in, man. Well done. Well, we got to get Shiva in who's running commerce for Facebook <laughs> and give us a little winky winky. You know, he's got to be careful about what he says. But uh no, but I, I think Tyler, it's, a, it's top of the hour. And just to take the thing here, listen, if anybody wants to understand the value of this room, that was it, right? That was an illustration of it, right? So, and you, and you never know how it works. It's, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. This isn't a LinkedIn webinar where you invite people and they turn up and everyone like, and they may not turn up and they're all state. The power of this is the networks that people open up and also the trust that wish that people have with their relationships and you know and and you get the person with the headline i mean just getting getting onto the stage and i can only see that getting smarter yeah. more credible better and, and better. better as everyone on this stage starts inviting their friends because what happens in these kind of things is everyone's got a network every yep. you know mahogany knows somebody that's going to be relevant to a news headline tomorrow right yep. or the day after but what happens is if it's a credible stage and we're all like you know respectful to each other like we have been people invite their friends on, right? Who are, and Tyler, you, you take a lot of trust with us, which, you know, and we, we give back to you and this stage gives back to you because you, you invite some of your best uh, connections and friends onto this stage to, to, to catalyze that movement. And, and you just did that. And, uh, and I think it's really, I just want to, you know, join this club, like join, join the green button up there. This is well, how you, how you uh, get more of this. Yeah. I, I like uh, the politics room for that reason, because Justin invites People who aren't necessarily in the headlines, but are relevant, important, you know, people at that, you know, in, in, in from Washington, D.C., we can certainly do the same in tech. And I mean, just look at the events I've done over the past decade of the speakers that I've had. It's, you know, I have had pretty much everybody. Um, 
and we could invite them into Clubhouse. But some of the names are so big that we would almost want to make an event out of it. Like I could invite Sebastian in right now, but it would be better, you know, that we plan that, you know, four days in advance and kind of promote it or, you know, yeah. But yeah, you're right. But what the point of the headlines, you're exactly right, where ultimately the the room will get to a size and the audience will get to a size where we eventually all know somebody who's related to the headlines and we can ping them in. And by the way, the fact that Clubhouse is now just open publicly where you don't have to worry about the whole invite system for me is huge because it removes this the, the friction that existed because previously we had to go through this whole invite, uh, you know, hurdle or, or, or flaming hoop which has now been gone. So it makes it much easier to ping folks. And ideally, as more people uh, download and and, uh, get on the app, it just removes a lot of friction to be able to ping them in. So into these rooms, because we have 10 headlines each day, we could start um, now that the the friction's removed, start, you know, taking an hour before the program and pinging the people, the companies and saying, yeah, and, and, and managing the expectations of, you know, very busy individuals right. that, hey, this is the format. They normally used to like being invited to conferences and things. Right. And so they kind of said, oh, am I going to be on a big conference? You know, uh, I, I've had a couple of people say that to me. Oh, like, is it going to be big? Do I have to prepare? And, and you have to kind of manage them and say, look, you know, just just uh, this is going to be a quick format. You're going to find it very interesting and kind of and once they come once, they'll come other times. But I, I guarantee that the, the, the beauty of this stage, all the people on this stage, just look at I mean, just look what they do and where they are. That networks, they will know somebody one one. Yeah. But even the audience, away, that's right? the beauty of the yeah. audience. Yeah. yeah. And, and the by, audience. Yeah, of course. Of and course. then, yeah. by yeah. the way, because yeah. Faraz uh, and I are chatting with the CEO of Pegasus, because that's a big headline in the news. We have a call with him. I think it's later today, uh, just to kind of put him at ease that we're actually going to give him a fair shake, you know, of a room to conversate in because he doesn't want to be attacked. And honestly, I don't want to attack him. I honestly want to hear his perspective uh, with a, uh, honestly, I'm going to be because in tech, uh, I've been in the, the game long enough where all of my friends, when I read headlines about friends of mine who are in the news and when I know what happened intimately and you know, every every few months there's a tech headline where I happen to know what really happened more than the journalist does because I know the people involved. And in the vast majority of cases, there's key um, information that's withheld or misinformation that's, uh, you know, just bad takes from the because the, the journalist just doesn't know. And it's not that the journalist is a bad person. They just don't have the time to properly investigate and meet all of the players and really digest the whole reality of what was happening. And it's, it's an unfortunate, but that's journalism. You know, they, they, they only have an hour to write a story. They got to do, you know, eight stories a day and, you know, but now we can get the actual people that are in the news. We, we did this recently with somebody. Oh, Tommy Palm from resolution games. It was the headline two weeks ago that Facebook was testing ads inside of VR. That was the headline. And and then it said in the headline, ah, it's being done by a game uh, company called Resolution Games. I was like, oh, that's a friend of mine, Tommy, from Paul, who's, you know, used to be at King, who makes Candy Crush. And Tommy was one of the co-creators of Candy Crush, at, which is from Stockholm, by the way. And I said, oh, that's Tommy. So let me, he's the CEO of Resolution Games. He's a, he's not only a friend, his ex-wife is my co-host in my events. So 
uh, and he's spoken at my events, you know, many times over the years. So let's ping him in. And when I pinged him, he says, I, you know, I, I can't comment. I was like, why? What's going on? And then the next day, there was a new headline. This is two weeks ago. You guys remember this? Where it then says, oh, uh, Facebook not going to do ads in <laughs> after all. And I was like, what? What's going on? Now I really got to ping Tommy and find out what's going on. And he said, yeah, now I can come in. And he did. And he jumped in the room as a CEO and said, here's what really happened. You know, we decided... Yeah, we're going to test this thing with Facebook to be the first ad ever in the history of VR. And there was so much blowback, uh, negative blowback from gamers and the VR community and Oculus users before they even saw it or knew what was really coming. And that we just decided, okay, well, uh, the market has spoken. We're just going (laughs) to kind of backtrack a little bit and reconfigure, go to plan B, back to the drawing board. And, you know, do it in a, in a more subtle way, in a different title, you know. And, and I, I wanted to say something at that event, but I was on my best behavior. And, you know, that's hard because I have a trouble butting in and I apologize. Um, but, you know, I was going to say, like, for me, when I was a kid and I finally saw, like, um, a real logo in a video game, man, was I sold, like, wow, they're trying to recreate the actual experience for me, you know. So if I saw an in-game ad in a game... Um, that was relevant to what you would experience in real life. Um, at least my generation would have been all about it, but this generation, and I'm not picking on them, it's so principled that they kind of like rob themselves of a of a real world experience by um, like getting so um, firm about that. And I didn't want to mention any of that during that that and derail the conversation. So on, on this point, Chris, I'm with you because if ads come into uh, VR. Now, in every case, people always worry when when you're in an ecosystem without ads. Blogs used to not have ads. And then my buddy Jason, who brought me into Clubhouse, who's been my partner for, you know, since 2007, was the first person to put an ad on a blog. And it was a Volvo skyscraper ad on Autoblog because he owned Autoblog and Engadget and um, started this first blog ad network that he sold to AOL. But he businessed, businessized, he kind of not e-commercified, but he, uh, what's the word, commercified blogs by putting an ad on blogs. And boy, did people go berserk when he put an ad on a blog because people like Clubhouse now doesn't really have ads. If people start putting ads into Clubhouse, some people will freak out. But by the way, YouTube used to not have ads and then they did. Blogs used to not have ads and then they did. VR currently doesn't have ads. It will guaranteed because when it does Looking back at blogs, look at what blogs have become due to the monetization of blogs. Should we go back to removing all money out of blogs completely? Hell no. Should we remove all the videos out of all of YouTube and go back to, you know, cat videos? Hell no. Should we, you know, VR today is, you know, no ads. But if we put ads in VR, the headsets could be free. They, they could give away all of the headsets to everybody because they're going to make the money back from the ads. <clears throat> and then you've got, you know, the entire world on VR. And then you ask VR people, well, do you want you and your 10 friends, you know, um, on VR or do you want the whole world on VR? And they're like, oh, you know, I think they're going to actually, you know, even though it's against their own instincts, they actually net net 10 years from now are going to realize that ads are probably a very good thing for the VR ecosystem. And same with mobile apps and everything else. So, and I think same will probably apply to Clubhouse. But I think the way that 
ads might happen in Clubhouse is the same as it happens in Spotify, which is before you go into a room, you click on a room to enter a room, and there's a 10 second ad that says this room, you know, sponsored by whatever. You know, it's just a 10 second audio ad as you enter the room. So, I mean, big whoop, but that could, that little 10 second ad going into a room could fundamentally change um, the economics of social audio. Yeah. And that's where the discovery, I'm sorry. Question. Um, did you realize that on the hallway, in the middle of your hallway, there's this upcoming events that recommend yeah. events? Yeah. So I think they can easily change this to be sponsored events. Well, it could also be, it could also just be an ad. Yeah. And by the way, you're going to have. <clears throat> yeah. And to, who, who asked about, who asked about a uh, 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 mentoring or something in, in Clubhouse? Cause that's, they're already doing that with the English language yeah. room. You're seeing the beginnings of that. And you're going to start seeing math, learn math rooms and all kinds, you know, I it's, think that's. Yeah. Chinese room, advanced Chinese room, yeah. Mandarin room. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask a question regarding ad. So do you, don't you all find annoying that if you see ads that's not related to you or you have no interest in, doesn't that turn you off? Of course, but that's that's right? just it's that, annoying, right? Yeah, but that's that's a short term problem. That's going away very soon. Good to know. On mobile, not exactly. And on iOS, it's not going to go away. Well, yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> going to be con- it's just going to be contextual. So right, yeah. everyone who's on the Android and wants like, everyone who wants relevant ads probably needs to go on Android. <laughs> I, I I find the Twitter Cookie Twitter thing. quite annoying too, to be honest. All those. Feeds that I'm totally not interested in. Yeah. Okay. Um, so hey, uh, Twitter does Tyler, not have Andre. a very good algorithm. This is why. Yeah. Actually, yeah. this this whole point of discoverability that Tyler mentioned, I think it's like one of the reasons why Google can win in this, you know, live stream shopping game. Because, like, for me, when I do advertising on different platforms, you know, whether it's on TikTok, whether it's on LinkedIn or or Google or Facebook, like the return on ad spend that I get from Google is just so much better than the return on ad spend from any other platform because of all the data that Google has regarding the purchase intent, which you guys also talked about, right? Like, um, with discoverability, like, even on Facebook, even if you have, like, all the content creators, people are going to Facebook and they're going to Instagram not really with the intent to actually purchase something. Like, if you're lucky and if they are, you know, searching for something or if the way that Facebook, the way that you you know, surf Facebook changes and like you actually have a reason to search for something that's on there to purchase it, like then, yeah, that discoverability can be improved. But like really the best platform for purchase intent right now is still Google. So I think that gives like a huge advantage to um, YouTube live stream shopping or, you know, like shorts live stream shopping or whatever. Um, because like the thing that you have, you know, in China is that the apps are completely different and the way that people search there and the way that the algorithms work there is different than the way that people in the West are used to consuming social media. So that's just also something that was on my mind regarding to what you were talking about. You know, that's such an interesting I'm just going to add because when I when I shop using social commerce on Facebook, I'm more of a passive consumer. So I rarely go to Facebook to look for something specifically, but the algorithm somehow knows me well enough to, to, um, to show me products that 
what fit, you know, interests that I have. So that's, that's one piece of it. And then the second piece I would share is that I think there has to be a balance between, between discoverability and saturation. So, you know, meaning that if, if, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, people are now going to be selling things, you know, I think that the, again, the algorithm has to be smart enough not to oversaturate someone's feed. Um, so, so to date, and, and just as a bit of context, I packed five weeks ago to take a three-day weekend and I'm still in the fishing village on the Gulf of Thailand and so I've had to buy some things and including this morning I, I bought a dress a pair of shorts a blouse and one other thing I don't remember but through social commerce using line the app that we use a lot in Thailand but well what I will say is that I did not um, I went directly to my, my, my merchants that I had built trust and rapport with over the past year plus. And those were the people that I went to. I, you know, I, so I wasn't necessarily actively searching, but I, I went back to the people that I knew. Um, so, so yes, I, I think that discoverability is important. I think that, um, you know, saturation points, you know, will also be something that needs to be considered as this rolls out. Okay. Um, this is Michelle speaking, Tyler, yes. just quickly before you move to the next okay. headline, because yeah. I can tell that's, that's what you want to do. <laughs> um, I, I just want to add something to, uh, to Cheryl's point. Uh, so the personalized experience comes with actually sharing data. That's the other uh, kind of trade-off. But um, to make that point, and I can speak to this because these are actually the product I'm looking after uh, at Facebook, everything that Signal and, and the whole uh, ads algorithm. So the saying that, well, the reality is that we know intent, so we know when someone is likely to buy something, whether it's in the next day or three weeks later. So I also think we need to differentiate the, when if you're searching for Zalando shoes, intent is high, but should Zalando buy their own brand? when someone is already looking for them. So I think we just kind of need to highlight the nuances. And to Lakisha's point, we're also looking into what we call fatigue. So technically the algorithm should stop showing you something if you've seen it more than a certain amount of time. So I just kind of wanted to add this to, um, to point before we move to the next headline. Okay, and then Andre wanted to jump in. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if we can move to the next headline if you need to, Tyler. Okay. Thanks for that. And then we've got, because we got uh, into that real, <laughs> a real rabbit hole there with uh, Cal's headline about apparel and Klarna and social commerce and everything. Um, but I, I just want to point out that Chris had a very important point. Uh, you know, if anyone's that, that basically uh, in third grade, we were shown videos that basically described to us how uh, advertising uh, they would show you how they would set up scenes and add audio and all these things. And so, growing up new and void anything kind of shoved in front of your face. However, my favorite video games was like, you, you know, you played as like a soldier and the, the way they, they cleverly did advertising in that sense is they had um, certain uh, brand uh, that were, that had a use case in the game. So um, I avoided all advertising growing up yet myself and my the ones on eBay looking for calorie mates uh, out of Japan. Okay. So the, the next big 
headline is from The Guardian. It's about Facebook. And lucky that we have Michelle from Facebook here to help us with this one. It says, Facebook will restrict how advertisers can target users under 18 years of age across Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger, which are their three big apps. Uh, only allowing age, gender, and location targeting, but not um, um, the thousands of other ways that people are normally targeted. Uh, anyone who's ever run a Facebook ad knows you can target based on their interests of all different kinds and their backgrounds and their education. And there's a million things you can target people on. And so, again, the headline saying that Facebook's for minors under 18, on all three apps, uh, you can only target by age, gender, and location. And the location makes sense because you only want to sell to people in your delivery area. That makes sense. Um, and I can understand the gender. I can understand the age. But that's it. You don't get anything else. And that's quite quite an interesting point. Kara Swisher on, um, well, their protocol has a related headline that says... <clears throat> The the chief technologist of the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, who is the police of anything to do with sales of anything in America, especially on the Internet. And so the chief technologist of the FTC told a conference yesterday on Tuesday that the agency envisions forcing companies to engage who engage in illegal data uses to not just disgorge data and money but also algorithms that were juiced by ill-gotten data and yes they use the word juicing data believe it or not juicy Uh, juicy they they implying that the data is juicy because they're saying algorithms that were juiced by ill-gotten data there we go evidence of what of listening to tech news yes they they are they've they're on to us they understand that this this data is indeed sweet and juicy and uh, that algorithms do get juiced by data. But the point they're saying is they envision forcing companies that engage in illegal data uses to not um, disgorge data and money, uh, but also algorithms that were juiced by ill-gotten data. The chief technologist, Ari Mayer, also floated the possibility of corporate restructuring and stronger enforcement against companies that sacrifice security in service of speed, making them subject to bans just like abusive debt collectors. We're going to make sure that data abusers face consequences for their wrongdoings. She said she slammed fixes that make a disclosure longer or a one-time fine bigger and suggest the FTC need to take on entire business models. Mayor's comments came as the commission's new chair, Lena Khan, has already begun to clear the way for a commission to make more aggressive enforcement actions on tech companies. And um, I think they're trying to crack crack down on the usage of all this sweet, sweet, juicy, juicy data to make trillions of dollars. Is what it sounds like. My, my question, Tyler, would be of the data. Let's say that um, my daughter like served up like forty six data items previously. Search blah blah blah. Now it's tied down to I don't know the handful that you said. The more interesting question for me is of that like vault of data. What what is going to be done with it? I.e., obfuscated, you know, used to sell and anonymized data sets. Like that for me is the more interesting question because they're going to make money out of it somehow. <clears throat> yeah. 
Um, well, let, back to the, the Guardian article, which is the bigger headline that they're going to, I don't know that we need to read. It's pretty obvious at face value what, what they want to do is they just want to make, and, and kudos, by the way, uh, 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 kind of preemptively self-preservation because no doubt that will likely become a ruling in the not so distant future that, you know, we're going to decide that people under 18 should not be targeted the same way that adults are. And but Facebook is self-imposing this restriction now uh, to that. I say kudos, apl uh, applause to Facebook on that point, because there's an incredible amount of money to be made by not doing this. Right They're They are willingly cutting out, you know, uh, an incredible amount of money by not targeting ads towards kids interests. Um so it says Facebook will impose more control on the types of ads that children are, uh, as young as 13 are exposed to on Instagram and other platforms. As new research finds, all Australian alcohol companies are not restricting their social media content from reaching younger users. And Facebook announced on Wednesday that starting in a few weeks, Instagram will stop advertisers marketing to teens under 18 on their interests. Only age, gender and location will be able to be used to target ads to them. Lobby group called Reset Australia recently reported being able to set up ads targeted at teens between 13 and 17 based on interests that had expressed, including smoking, extreme weight loss, and gambling. Uh, the changes will apply across Facebook, Instagram Messenger, and a blog post. Facebook said that everyone could opt out of targeted ads manually, and the company has decided to do it automatically for children. We've heard from youth advocates that young people may not be well equipped to make these decisions. We agree with them which is why we're taking a more precautionary approach in how advertisers can reach young people with ads. Kudos. I, I applaud you, Facebook. Hello, yeah. can I say something? Yeah. In that whole article, and I've read a bit of it um, because I've, I've, I saw it one of the, um, when it first came out, and it's come out, I think, a couple of days ago. Um, it says no targeting of ads. Does it say anywhere that they're not going to be mining the data? Because regardless, they don't need to target the ads to them. For a while now, that that it has been clear in their strategy that that's not what they're going to be doing to the miners anymore. Um, I don't know if I can just quickly add um, answer to that. Please do. I'm I'm not sure uh, what you imply by not mining the data for us, given they are on the platform. Do you mean leveraging it or or just leveraging it and? Michelle, I know, I know you might not be able to answer a lot of the stuff that I'm about to bring up, but leveraging it in terms of, for example, political campaigning, um, leveraging it, for example, in terms of Cambridge Analytica, um, leveraging it, in, for example, in terms of um, use cases for the metaverse, leveraging it, for example, um, use cases for I mean, I mean, there's a thousand things I can bring up of the the Oculus um, le leveraging it, for example, um, for a hundred thousand other cases. Every, yeah, I think the article actually answers that question. Uh, we, we, I think it speaks to the entire ads ecosystem and political campaigns also are ad, which is extremely regulated on the platform, by the way. Now, when it comes to Oculus use cases, I can't speak to that, but the intention is really to not expose them to everything that's ad related and uh, give them privacy cho uh, privacy first not as a as a default for us I, I, I think because you, you're echoing the, the question i had which was 
Well, we agree that the um, the, the but Dave, can I just bargain. can I just say one sentence, brother, and and then I'll hand over right there. Cheers. Thanks a lot, mate. Um, uh, so Michelle, um, I, I, I don't want to rumble on this topic too long, but um, the point that I'm trying to make is the part of political campaigning and all of that was part of their policy to begin with, regardless of the ad targeting um, for ages, but, but Cambridge Analytica and similar things did happen. So that doesn't change. Not, none of that has changed and they don't need to make a statement to that effect. Because I might just the... maybe want to clarify that. Um, I don't know if um, maybe you haven't been reading up on it, but since Cambridge Analytica, which, by the way, obviously we, we can deep dive too much on this topic because it, it's probably going to take too much time. But since Cambridge Analytica, a lot of things have changed, actually, when it comes to political ads. So I would maybe share a few articles directly to your DM on Twitter so you can maybe read up on that. Um, and it's not like, and, and the whole story I of Cambridge Analytica. I might be misinformed, is, sure. Yeah, the whole story of Cambridge Analytica is that this is something that happened on 2014 where a, a researcher had access to an open API. So Facebook technically never allowed that use case, you know. So it, it's it's kind of a bit more complex, but the intent was never to let them leverage it for political so since then, that sector has been heavily regulated and political ads, you need to share your ID and et cetera. So it's a lot more uh, guarded than, than it seems to be. So when it comes to the youth, yeah, the, the idea is uh, is to reduce exposure as much as okay, possible. So let me just ask on you ads. one last question. Then. Let me just ask you one last question. And no, I'm, 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 not, uh, I'm not some form of, uh, for example... Uh, major, major coder, or even according to the definition of being able to qualify as a techie, as understanding what HTTPS means, I don't even know that. But I might know a little bit here, and forgive me if I don't. Um, if I make an application based on Facebook, do I get access to data, data of the underlying people that would be using that application if it were miners? Um, you don't have access to, you don't have access. And by the way, we don't, we don't sell data. Companies can use it when they advertise and it doesn't leave our ecosystem, if that makes sense. It, you can leverage it to get a better return on investment on your new user okay, acquisition, but you don't go to, I mean, we wouldn't sell data. Obviously, it's not a good business model. Otherwise, we wouldn't be alive anymore. So that's a very big misunderstanding. Okay, that's, uh, that's right, so, we're it's deep, too deep sorry, out, away from the headline. So getting back into it, there's a couple of related headlines before we get back into the others, which is <clears throat> CNN today is saying Facebook uh, says it's moving forward with Instagram for kids despite the backlash. But now I think we understand why they announced uh, kids won't be able to be targeted based on their interests. Because uh, I was thinking, wow, this is really... Uh, you know, self-regulating uh, uh, of them to do this. But with this headline coming out about um, them moving forward with Instagram for kids, I can, and it says Facebook on Tuesday reaffirmed its intention to build an Instagram for kids under 13, despite pressure from lawmakers to back down. But now I think the other headline that we read previously that they're not going to allow uh, people under 18 to be targeted uh, by their interests makes more sense because it's, uh, yeah, you certainly don't want kids being targeted for their interests because they aren't able to police their own interests, essentially. And then also related, Instagram makes under 16-year-old uh, accounts private by default. And again, smart. 
that uh, we don't want, um, you know, strangers being able to engage with people under 16 years of age as well. And yeah, interesting all of this, how, how these all fit of together. All of this long term makes so much sense because the, the, it's just about onboarding them on the platform, letting them live there for a few years without being targeted. Right. And then when they come of age, you know, they, then they become uh, viable uh, customers, uh, which is a very smart long term strategy. Um, I, I agree. Coming from Facebook. I agree. The circus circus model. I never thought of it that way. Chris just dropped a thought bomb, which is there's a in Las Vegas, there's a lot of casinos, you know, 100 casinos of all different types. And one of them has this very childish theme called Circus Circus, because if you're a parent in Las Vegas, um, well, the kids are going to convince you to go to Circus Circus because they've got playgrounds and, you know, all of these. Oh, dude, my my kid, my parents would give me uh, 20 bucks in quarters and oh, my God. I have a very vivid memory of myself doing that at Circus Circus with my parents when we went to Las Vegas. And um, and so the kids end up at Circus Circus if you're parents and then but you're also exposed to, you know, casinos, you know, and it, it, it kind of. um is Chris is implying that, you know, they get you in there as a kid, uh, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, you're playing like uh, mezzanine games for prizes and like trying to win tickets. It's Dave and Buster's, but you're like five years old and you, your brain can't process it. Yeah, yeah. I, I always felt the arcades did me a favor. The the what do you call it? The ski ball and those kinds of things are, you know, playing games that imply a bit of risk, you know, for reward for the win a stuffed animal and all that's kind of interesting point. So the uh, the there's a couple of other related articles um, about the live shopping and all of that. There's a startup in uh, called L-O-L-O-L-O. Spelled E L O E L O, a startup that is India's fastest growing creator led live social gaming platform. And social gaming is, you know, like uh, Roblox or uh, Minecraft. And what's starting to happen, if I understand this correctly, because it says creator led live social gaming platform. I don't know for sure, but it, the idea that Roblox is the the user and 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 uh, Minecraft as well, the users are creating the spaces that the people are playing in, and now the idea is that those creators are going to start monetizing, and they already are in the case of Roblox, um, their creations that people are playing in, and it's going to and start to create environments where unprofessional people, anybody, even kids, are going to be able to create games that other players are going to be able to play in and they're going to be able to monetize. And you might even see very young individuals adding content in, in game environments that they can monetize as a teen, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, it could replace the lemonade stand. You could make a virtual lemonade stand environment. You know, you, although you don't even need to sell lemonade stands, just the fact that people are playing in your environment, you could monetize that. And that's kind of a wild concept all in and of itself. And uh, thank you to Renji. Connor, quick, yes. quickly on that one. Yeah. Can you imagine, the, I mean, the, the, the age of influencers is obviously going to rapidly decline. Just think about like Gucci in Roblox and yeah. think about the influencers like just kind of promoting those those things to be sold. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's a great point because kids, you know, a lot of, lot, a lot of marketing and brands 
market to kids and kids are shifting into digital very quickly. And so you're going to start to see all this marketing to kids is not a trivial thing. And Facebook deciding, you know, um, you know, you can't target on based on interests uh, is quite interesting. And uh, it's, it's a huge market segment. So anyway, another one interesting related article is a, a startup in Singapore called Madada, M-D-A-D-A, M-Dada, Live Streaming Hub is set to be the largest fully equipped live streaming hub across Southeast Asia capable of supporting over 10 simultaneous live streaming sessions supported by a fully functioning technology crew. And this is as I predicted, this would come where you're going to have live streaming selling of your stuff on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook and five other platforms in the Pinterest and whatever uh, and YouTube. They're all going to allow you to live stream and sell your stuff. And I said, you're going to have a platform come that's going to allow you to live stream to all of them simultaneously. And now here it is. It's called MData Live Streaming Hub. And did they, t- they live streamed to 10 simultaneous live streaming sessions supported by fully functioning technology crew. So I'm retweeting this right now because Singapore and Southeast Asia is sort of the, the uh, you know, the area of the world where this is happening most um, most obviously at the moment. So it's not a surprise that this is coming out of Singapore first. So thank you for that one, Poppy. And then uh, Mahogany just found a really interesting article from Wired, um, one of my favorite publications anywhere. But uh, it says, an artist has died, then thieves made NFT art out of the deceased artist's work because NFTs are essentially unregulated. And in the case of a deceased artist, scammers have been quick to take advantage. And can they be stopped? Fantastic concept. What a brilliant dinner party conversation. Thank you for that, Mahogany. And what were some... um, Let's get back into the top 10 headlines, because believe it or not, we've not... We only went through the top five. We still have five of the big ones to get into. So... Activision Blizzard, you know, this ongoing drama we've been covering for the past week or so, it started off with a lawsuit was filed against Activision Blizzard, which is the makers of Call of Duty and World of Warcraft, two of the biggest video games in the history of video games. And now the company yeah, is being in a, in a suit where uh, the, the plaintiffs are claiming sexual harassment and sexual discrimination, and that these are women, by the way, and... The CEO said internally, you know, that this is a distorted kind of untrue kind of narrative. And then the company yesterday responded with a 1,600 signature collections of current and former employees saying, we don't like that you uh, said internally that this isn't accurate. And now they are protesting, apparently. The headline from Bloomberg says, Activision Blizzard staff aim to walk out on Wednesday. That's today. Uh, demanding fair treatment for underrepresented staff and ending arbitration clauses in staff contracts. Bobby Kotick said in an all-staff email that the company's recent actions were tone-deaf. So he's now walking back his comments that this is inaccurate. He's now saying we were tone-deaf in our reaction to the lawsuit and ostensibly to calm down the possibility of a walkout on Wednesday and we will find out because Wednesday morning is uh, happening when we meet again in seven hours here 
So hopefully somebody on the ground and we do have somebody on the ground there. And I believe somebody in my DMs who keeps me updated, Jeff, uh, seems to maybe even have worked there. So um, where he says this is a very big deal for Bobby to apologize for anything. I, I, I guess it's uncharacteristic for Bobby to apologize for things, according to Jeff, who based on the DMs he sends me, I, I get the sense that he knows. Oh, he says I'm a former Activision employee. So, yes, he does would know kind of Bobby's mannerisms in this regard. So hopefully, Jeff, if you could, obviously you're listening in the audience, please keep us updated if the walkout does happen tomorrow now that Bobby, the CEO, has uh, softly apologized for his uh, critical comments of the lawsuit to be continued, as I said. And indeed, the lawsuit's still going to happen. And indeed, at that lawsuit, the plaintiffs are going to make their case about sexual discrimination and, and whatnot, which could, uh, it, by the way, that had huge impacts on Uber. Uber faced a turning point where one of the team members claimed sexual discrimination, and that uh, sort of led to a reshuffling uh, of the chairs on the deck of you know the US, uh, USS Uber, where they brought in a new CEO to get through to the IPO, where Dara came in to replace Travis. Somewhat, you know, the, the you know it, it just got a little too hot to handle because the press uh, are not shy about jumping onto any hints of tech companies where there happens to be sexual discrimination or any kind of discrimination happening. Tech journalists uh, are not shy at all about jumping on those tech stories um, in a very big way. And that often can lead to reshuffling of senior team leaders. Uh, but it, once they're public, it, you even have public market reactions where, you know, it could cost, you know, people could start selling the stock and that you have real financial impact in these situations. So these companies need to be very. Tyler, who was that Apple guy who was only there for a few days and then had to go? Uh, yes, Antonio. Example. Yeah, and yeah. and Antonio hosts rooms in Clubhouse here with Eric in the uh, the Big Ideas rooms, which are fantastic rooms. And he wrote a book five years ago called um, Jesus. I forget the name of the book, but it was a New York Times bestseller. And he said some rather unsavory things five years ago that some chaos monkeys. Chaos Monkeys, it was called? Yes. Chaos yeah. Monkeys. It's a really good book, actually, for people who have never been in advertising. It, uh, it, I have to say it's very accurate in terms of what it describes. It's exactly how, we, how it's been. So interesting book to read. Yeah, but you're, yeah, it's, it's a, that's a whole other drama that we watched unfold on a day-by-day -day basis, and uh, which still kind of continues today, this whole battle of the Apple employees going back to work or not, and uh, due to the new kind of uptick in uh, Delta virus, and on and on and on. Anyway, so um, the next big article is that in the new iPad OS 15 beta, Apple makes its controversial Safari redesign optional, letting users choose a more conventional tab layout or um, the new upgraded version. Twitter hires the team that built Brief, a subscription-based news summary app founded by former Google employees. The app will wind down July 31st, but it appears they're bringing it into Twitter. And Twitter continues to buy subscription-related things like um, what's their their version of Substack? I forget what they call it. Uh, 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 somebody remind me. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's review. Thank you. Uh, which is the 
ability, just like Substack got really, really hot lately, where Substack allows journalists to leave their publications where they're paid as a salaried employee to go independent and, you know, autonomous and work for themselves, be their own boss and do journalism under their own name, under their own brand on Substack and get users and get paid. And that's, uh was clearly starting to work and it forced Medium, which even sort of predated Substack, which was run by Evan Williams, the, the co-founder of Twitter and even the creator blogger even before that. So he's got a long legacy in that space as pivoting Medium to be more like Substack. And then Twitter bought a sort of competitor to Substack. And then Facebook is launching a competitor to Substack because it's now a battle to... Because if they're left unchallenged, a Substack would suck up all of the journalistic talent onto Substack. And, uh, you know, um, people didn't want to see that go down without a fight. So Twitter jumped into that mix and Facebook and a lot of other people want to jump into that race and put a horses in those in that race. And now Twitter also getting into the it says Twitter's recent acquisition spree continues today as the company announced it has Aqua hired the team from news aggregator and summary app called Brief. The startup from former Google engineers launched last year to offer subscription-based news summary app that aimed to tackle many of the problems with today's news cycle, including information overload, burnout, media bias, and algorithms that promoted engagement over news accuracy. Twitter declined uh, to share the deal terms, but um, indeed, news has a lot of problems. And even helping people digest what's really going on and helping people, you know, uh, undo fake news because news has gotten so gamified that it's a bit broken and that's why we do tech news around the world and that this is our approach to addressing these issues and this startup called brief you know they just make a daily uh, one paragraph update of the what they feel are the most important news and try and give it to you as straight as possible in in a you know in in a, in a paragraph or two and uh, we go Talk. five steps further, you know, we're kind of going to the other extreme. Yes, go ahead. Uh, yeah, this an interesting trio is uh, the review and now this brief along with another Twitter acquisition, which is Scroll. Um, have you heard anything about Scroll lately? Because uh, it has an interesting model of wanting to become basically the, the Netflix of uh, media house media. So and a subscription to make uh, a past paywall and ad-free right. uh, reading of premium written content. Right. Well, here's here's kind of the issue. Here, here's a little hint as to what's going on behind the scenes, which is all of the top publications, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, you name it, they're all becoming paywalled. And that's hurting Twitter. Because when you read the tweets and the articles are paywalled, uh, you know, it neutralizes one of Twitter's key value propositions, which is, you know, sharing links about news of what's going on. And so they're going to try and figure out a way around that. And they might create their own subscription news summary, which is that startup that we just announced just now, brief. But as you said, other subscription uh, opportunities because it's because just like Netflix competes with Disney Plus and HBO and all of these other streaming video platforms, and just like Spotify competes with Apple Music and Tidal and the other audio streaming platforms, you're gonna all you know have a battle for news subscription. And Apple's in that with Apple News, 
where you subscribe to Apple News and you get access to all that. And Twitter, I think, understands they want to experiment in that. And they probably should. And it doesn't mean it'll be the absolute, you know, a core business model necessarily. But they need to at least experiment in that game, have a horse in that race. Well, hopefully they'll figure out the same uh, the same model as uh, just micropayments or like, you know, the, the small payments that we do microtransactions on on mobile. And instead of having big subscription uh, and with the payments processing now being so developed that you'll be able to do you'll be able to just buy access to individual articles because that is, I think, the biggest pain point that people still see today, that they have to pay for the whole subscription instead of I, just getting access on a article basis, which would be brilliant. I ju- I but that, that's, I that's kind of what Scroll is. Yeah, Scroll, uh, if I remember, Nicholas, because Scroll is you pay, five, yeah, you, you pay $5 a month and then you get access to a whole bunch of different paywalled publishers, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. So, which is very clever. And they kind of share your money across the subscription platforms. And it's, I, I think it's brilliant. But uh, Maria, what you just said, I was chomping at the bit to say what you just said, which is why don't they just let you buy per article? And of course, the, it, that is to me the ultimate solution. It's like, here's a great article. You clearly like it. Here's the first paragraph. Pay one penny to read the rest of the article. Which, of course, people yeah, would pay. I mean, that would be course. huge. That's, that is the solution. The friction is the, the fees that enable that are more than the penny that you're paying to yeah. have access to the yeah. article. Yeah. But, but isn't yeah. this backwards? Because um, it's like saying we should go back from Spotify to iTunes and pay by tune. I think it's different, though, because um, in a sense, I, it's, a, it's a different type of content, you know, that you have to... I think you consume it differently uh, than than music in the background that you want to have continuously, whether um, you know at a time um, access to to content you have to read and focus on. Um, uh, this is why I think it it's a bit different because you don't you cannot really predict um, how often you're going to be reading articles that come from one publication and have you know thousands of author, uh, authors, uh, whereas with music. Um, and some streaming content uh, that that can run in the background. It's a bit um, of easier, um, lower entry barrier, I think. Um, so, but uh, you know, you can have both. You can. You, we've already tried the subscription model, right? Like uh, on on the higher scale, uh, New York Times, all of those, all of those. And um, I don't know if that works so well. You know, so they maybe can try the alternative. So a uh, few big headlines before we get into all the very fun tweets, which is what everyone's anxiously waiting for. Facebook is recalling 4 million foam rims from Oculus Quest 2 after reports of irritation. Quest 2 goes on sale again August 24th with improved 128 gigabyte base storage. That's, a, that's a, quite a bit of storage. Uh, Valora, a mobile-first digital crypto wallet built on the open-source blockchain network called Celo, raises $20 million from Andreessen Horowitz, who just are going all in on crypto. AMD did their quarter report, and their revenue is up uh, 99% over the year uh, as there's a chip shortage. And so anyone making chips is going to be printing money. Uh, computer, uh, computing and graphics revenue up 65% over the year, enterprise embedded and semi-custom revenue up 183% year over year. And indeed, the uh, enterprise uh, chips is wh- where the money's at in the, uh, at this moment in time. And 
Clubhouse global installs for from July 21 to 25 are up 17% from previous five days after moving from invite only to general availability. Uh, that's Wired jumping in with that one. And a survey of 20,000-ish Americans from the Washington Post says that those who rely on Facebook for COVID-related news are less likely to get vaccinated than average and less likely than Fox viewers even to get uh, Biden said social media companies are killing people by spreading vaccine information. And now this report from the Washington Post adds uh, an interesting data point to that, that people who rely on Facebook for COVID-related news are less likely to get vaccinated than average and even less than people who watch Fox. Wow. Um, That's kind of a damning um, data point for Facebook to grapple with. Uh, The next one from TechCrunch says that Discord uh, debuts threaded conversations, which auto archive after 24 hours of inactivity and will roll out August 17th. And a premium feature for private threads, Harvard Biostatistician, as Biodata, which is the sweetest and the juiciest of data, is reconsidering plans to use Apple Watch as part of a study after finding inconsistencies in heart rate variability data collected. And TikTok expands live platform with new features, including events, co-hosts, Q&A, moderation tools, and more to make it more competitive with Instagram Live. Gee, why would they do that? I wonder what they're thinking. TikTok expands their live streaming platform with new features, including creating events, co-hosts, Q&As, and more. Uh, And with virtual GIFs which currently allow creators to live stream to fans while responding to viewers' comments and questions and accept virtual gifts. Now the live experience will include a number of new features for creators to make it more competitive with platforms like Instagram Live, including the ability to go live with other with others. Hosts, Q&As, you use moderators, improved keyword filters, and more as we spent the first hour of today talking about. This is the future of these platforms, is live streaming e-commerce. As much as they think, you know, as much as they all reached uh, these points by, um, you know, doing funny little dance videos and whatnot, the future is not dance videos. The future is selling shit all day long via live streams from influencers on these apps to consumers on these apps uh, who want to buy stuff because it's a better platform for buying stuff than Amazon because Amazon's mobile app sucks ass. (laughs) because you get a photo, uh, a generic photo of some object where TikTok is going to have an individual unboxing the object. And which one do you think is going to be better in helping you understand what you are going to be buying? Also, also the reviews, uh, the the review scandals being all fake because you can buy. Great point. Great point. And yeah, there's there's that. And then the whole discovery on Amazon is terrible. Like it's absolutely not based on best user experience. You just buy it due to the logistics, I think, mostly because you get it quickly. But absolutely, how many times everybody buys something and it's not what you actually wanted. And so influencer marketing or social commerce just say, solves for all of that uh, verification. And right. the case's point earlier, I thought was is really relevant here because the case when you were, you were describing how you bought those um, recent um Clothing items, you were saying that, you know, it's brands that you trust. I think the interesting thing here, Tyler, is that the 
the, the kind of the video, the influencer, the person, the personality is going to have inbuilt trust within them. Therefore, the brands that they hold in their collection instantly become like part of the sort of trusted ones. So, Lakeisha, when you were kind of looking at going back to the brands that you trust, I think that that is part of the kind of gateway to the new brands coming in. Just a thought. Yeah, that guy, that guy on YouTube calls it uh, unbox therapy for a reason. <laughs> but the you can imagine in the live streaming context uh the ability to chat with the host you know and say uh can you please you know put that object you know on your wrist and what color is the bottom and turn it this way and push this button and what happens and you know you get really to understand the product that you want to buy in a way that just doesn't it's unimaginable on Amazon today when i first bought some well I bought several pieces via live stream on Facebook and I happened to be in the same area where her physical shop was. And I had never shopped in her boutique before. And I was fangirling when I stepped in because we had interacted so much that I felt like I knew her. And then I said, remember me? And then I, I happened to be wearing one of her pieces, but, but, but yes, this, this whole notion of rapport, I think that small boutiques and brands that are able to build it are going to have an edge in the space um, because it doesn't feel like I'm being sold to actually in this weird kind of way. It feels like, oh, my friend just got something new in and that's really cute. I think I'm going to buy it. Okay. So I think we are pretty much through the big headlines that your cousins and coworkers are ranting about um let let me just check one more time to make sure we got all the interesting ones in a letter to companies california attorney general says data sharing via analytics trackers like cookies for ad and analytics purposes fits the ccpa's definition of data selling and it's all about you know killing the cookies and now the governments are feeling like they want to kill cookies because they just figured out what cookies are by the way in in 2021 and they realize, well, hey, wait a minute, you, you're, you guys are, what? You guys are sharing data across websites? Holy cow, what is going on here? Stop, stop pull the e-brake on this internet thing. These people are sharing data on something called cookies. What's going on? And uh, now they realize why the tech companies have become the biggest companies on the planet. And, and they, they're a little concerned about what's going on with all this data sharing. The gig, The jig is up. We figured you out, tech companies. You're sh you're stealing cookies from each other. Um, and on that, on that Facebook one, Tyler, while what would what would have been a, um, really interesting is if they had to come out to say we are stopping collecting any of the information because you, you notice the precise wording is the targeting for the adverts, uh -huh. i.e., the collection will still be going on. Is my hypothesis? Uh huh. Um, and just, just I just have a quick question for uh -huh. you, Dave. Um, what do you think would be the the, vi the viable alternative um, for those for those business models? Like, assuming I'm just curious now. No, no, assuming I, I, the, 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 what, what Facebook is doing is so spot on about you know they see it's not just Apple and Google kind of data you know stopping sharing you know the the cookie ecosystem you know which Facebook uh, probably benefited from most of all or, or um, uh, um, um, made the most of more than anybody. And the it's not just Google and Apple who are now kind of raising the walls on their walled gardens by kind of hoarding, you know, the, the data. But 
they, I think Facebook obviously engages with the government a lot, probably more than any company on the planet. And they see that the, how the politicians are starting to become familiar with how this whole tech world works in terms of data and they don't like it and they feel like it's a bit you know surprising all the data that's happening and that means that the traditional advertising models are gonna um kind of calcify and crystallize a bit and become less fluid and that means ah okay we see where your eyes are focused where the ball's going so it's it's not again it's not just Apple and Google kind of raising their walled gardens. It's also the the upcoming regulations that Facebook is intelligently pre anticipating, and that's why you see this. Hey, we're going into the metaverse. We are a metaverse company. We are done with that whole uh, ad world, which is gonna that lake is gonna dry up. Let's get our boat out of the that ad ad network lake and put it into the metaverse new ocean, and. By the way, we can still do a lot of stuff over there or using data in, in awesome ways. And um, and we get into the hardware space, which collects its own data. And you're you're allowed to use your own data uh, in interesting ways. And so I think Facebook is playing this masterfully in terms of doing stuff uh, uh, with Oculus in a very big way, doing stuff with the social commerce within Instagram and WhatsApp and, and uh, Facebook mother app uh yeah that's what they should do they're doing it brilliantly and and and, and i no, think my question was just um I, I think you're definitely taking it a whole other level which is kind of way ahead of what i was just wondering about um it's it's more than i just i just feel like sometimes we tend to look at those companies as public service companies you know like the water company uh-huh. and not really wanting wanting to have a trade-off so my question today was like, okay, assuming every one of those companies that we're using for free stop collecting data, what would be the viable alternative? Having a paying subscription yes. or no, no, well, yeah, but yeah, so, I mean, so that is part of it. The, Subscriptions well, are getting huge now, precisely for that reason. Yeah, and I'm just uncovering the reality of that story because if you were to read that story and don't uh, peel the onion underneath it, you would think that, that Facebook is not using any of the data. I'm just saying that my hypothesis is that the data is all being collected and will be used for another purpose. That's the point I'm making, but which it, I'm fine with. I'm just saying. Like, well, by the way, so so these uh, publishers, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, when they went digital, they were ad based businesses. They had ads all over these articles and they made money from those ads. And now those ads used to be intelligent, so to speak, or personalized or optimized or whatever you want to call it. And now they will be less so. And the ads will be far less effective and less monetizable. And so now you're seeing the subscriptions coming up um, at simultaneously. And, and, and then that's just the way it's going to be. Well, I, I used to just think um, that's definitely a viable option. And obviously, I'm not speaking out for Facebook here. But again, I believe people are more likely to pay 10 euros. That's my own assumption for Netflix or Spotify as opposed to 10 euros for TikTok. I would not personally pay for certain right. uh, access to certain content right. up to 12 euros. That, yeah. I don't feel that's a good use of... No, they're going to e-commerceify. Yeah. So in TikTok's case, they're going to go, just go big into e-commerce and Snapchat, and which both of those were based on ads, and now they're going to be based on e-commerce. And they're going to likely 
go big into uh yeah the e-commerce is huge it's bigger than the ad space it's going to be tremendous so I, I think everyone's going to be fine and even it's 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 a painful transition but they're going to be glad they did it um anyway so we now have gone through the Biggest art LinkedIn did their quarter report. Instagram now supports 60 second videos on reels up from 30 seconds to better rival TikTok and continues the race into e-commerce. Um, a look at the Taylor, Taylor. Yeah, New York Times. Just... One second. The New York Times has a look yeah. uh, an article from the New York Times. The headline is a look at the rise of the ultra fast grocery delivery startups, some with a goal of 10 minute deliveries across major cities led by a Turkish startup called Gitter. And indeed, there is a global race to now one hour delivery seems slow. And now, you know, seeing 30 minute delivery and then 20 minute delivery and now 10 minute delivery. There, It's like, uh, what's the movie? The seven minute abs, uh, <laughs> something about Mary. Uh, I'm doing six minute abs. Um, yeah, the, the number keeps going down on these. Uh, real-time deliveries 10 minute 10 minute deliveries that's just ridiculous like you barely have time to put the phone back in your pocket and the stuff del- del- yeah will they actually select the grocery properly like you know choose the best perishable for us yeah so, so be- the best apple and the best lemon and stuff some who who, who who just jumped in i cut off yeah it was willie <laughs> hello tyler hey, willie. Uh, today i want to 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 thank you with a little kind of uh, graphics I made while I was listening to your often so to the point analysis and looking forward, anticipating stuff and so on. And so I realized that we have two drivers, just going back to Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. and his plans for the future Uh and the other stuff you're always talking about, the live social commerce thing. Yeah, And if you go to my uh, if you PTR me or go to my Twitter or go to my Instagram, you will see the graphic, uh, a kind of uh, quadrant chart, which tells you that there are two drivers. The driver number one is the simulation technologies uh, are more mature in five years or so. And the other driver is, of course, 5G um, rolling out. And so uh, the bad thing about you always talk about social life commerce. The bad thing about it is that you need to invest time. Yes, you have to be present. It's it's just a live stream and you have to be uh, in the stressful situation to talk to people and not everyone can do it. You mean as a seller so my, or as a buyer? As a seller. <laughs> because Influencer, as a, you mean? The virtual influencer you're talking about? I see what you're saying. It, it, will, it will give a preference for extroverts, essentially. Although you're... you're yeah, that's, you're, that's maybe not too. Maybe not, because but, I consider myself an introvert, yeah. but uh, Clubhouse works perfectly for me because I don't have to actually see your face. So live streaming is kind yeah. of the same. And now, now the thing is, you're you living on Clubhouse. So yeah. you're investing really a lot of lifetime in it. And many obviously do it. So the disadvantage of all this synchronous media is because they are not stored, and we have talked about it also, whether it makes sense to have a feature... Uh, to listen later and so on. But what I'm talking about is the next trillion business inspired by your talk. And if you go to the graphics, um, uh, it's, uh, as I said, it's it's on my on my Twitter stream. Uh, I say there will be a metaverse mass market in 2025 and connected with the interview of Mark 
which which was on verge. I only realized it um, lately when I started to listen to you that there is this interview, but he does not mention in any way stores and shopping because he's a smart guy. But I'm absolutely sure he will take the cake to having a business of renting avatars as a salesperson. Because then if you do, do it like that, then you no longer need to be present and go away from work or go away from your kids. You can sell without being present. Yeah? And this is the, uh, the maturity uh, technology roadmap about uh, what I call generally the simulation tech. We have already, if you look at the graphics, the infographics, virtual actors and influencers, we have virtual bands. And so the next step is, of course, virtual salesmen for everyone. That's my bet. Ah, well, we, <laughs> were, we were talking. Really? Yeah, for, by, by the way, that, that insight we had, uh, uh, yeah. it's got the music on, not me. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Nicholas, did you want to say something? Yeah, um, Willie, do you have a Twitter um, handle that you could connect to your clubhouse um, profile? Because I can't click anything yeah, to, me too. to look at oh, the whole picture. Well, then it's uh, maybe it was broken when I changed my profile photo. I don't know. Let's see. No, it wouldn't because oh, just just do the oh oh oh. I see it's it's gone. I don't know it's why. The, uh, it's just, it's just can, the same. It's W Schroll. Yes, the, the same, same as like, his clubhouse name yeah, is his, very, also his Twitter sorry. name. And and you have it already in your. I I mentioned Great. you in the in the speech, and you have you just can retweet it, and then you it's accessible anyway. Yeah. yeah. So what he's describing is Cal, as you intuitively understood, is essentially what Faraz had proposed, which is eventually there's another technology that's happening simultaneously, which all, which is deep fakes and all of this and these bots and GPT-3 and all of that. And you could start making algorithmic um, influencers. In fact, there are algorithm, there are already influencers who are virtual, virtual influencers. Exactly. That will continue to improve far faster than any human can improve. And so once you get a virtual, you have virtual influencers on Instagram and on other, other, even on YouTube. And if they start selling you stuff, that could become the best case scenario because, but here's where it gets really fantastic, which is, and for, we have to give credit to Fraud for this because, or, or I forget who made the connection, but uh, TikTok asks now for something they call a face print and a voice print from you as a user. You now are giving them permission when you agree to use TikTok to take a face print and a voice print of you. Now watch this. This gets really crazy really quickly. So in the future, the people selling you stuff on these live streams will be human, except some of them won't be. And they'll be algorithmically generated and they'll be optimized, optimized, optimized to become outperform any human. And they will always forever optimize forever for the next hundred years. And by the way, they're going to be better than most humans next week. And next, exactly. <laughs> and then next year, they'll, the best sellers will likely be the automated ones. And 10 years from now, you can bet everything you have that the best ones will be the virtual ones. And, then, and they're not, they're, they're even personalizable because when TikTok is taking a face print from you, that means they have everybody's face and everybody's voice who is using TikTok. 
because you've all opted into letting them take a voice print and a face print of you. And they can reconstruct your likeness of your face and your voice onto the virtual salesperson. And so the yeah, person yeah. selling you the products through the live stream will be optimized for you. So it might be your mom is the best person to sell you the cleaning goods for your house, or you yourself will sell yourself uh, products and services because it will show you uh, more handsome, 10 pounds or five kilograms lighter and selling you some product that it says, you know, is going to enhance your health. And here you are, look at yourself now in the future, looking healthier and happier because you bought these products. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler, it's even it's even it's even more tricky because you can adjust an AI to the person listening. Then that's what I mean. So the to the tone may be not only your mother or your grandmother or what, as a person as an, a personalized avatar an impersonation, but uh, to adjust to the psychological situation of the person in the morning in the evening whether uh, it's uh, in which emotional state and then talk faster. Uh, uh, more humorous and so on. This will be feasible in at least six, seven years, I think. Right. Well, yeah, so, so basically, you're talking about Morgan the Hall. merge of high touch and high tech. Finally, right? Exactly. Yep. And this you look, first look on the on the quadrant uh, uh, metrics. Uh, first, I didn't want to bring in this Verge article, but I, I didn't know him. I, in, I had not really time to read it, only to skip it and to make a full text search that he is not mentioning shop and store in any way because he knows that this is the next step for him, not to have uh, a copy of a science fiction author Neil Stephenson a uh, uh, vision of metaverse, like a gaming for hackers uh, world or something, but just uh, that there's a shift from uh, of, a ex uh, of our experience space is shifting more to the virtual. So the next thing after mobile is uh, probably the metaverse in itself and the hardware development, the maturity of hardware with Apple going this way uh, uh, is also an, an hard um, yeah, a, a big signal, as we call it. There's uh, just a bet. And so I've marked this. If you look at this quadrant on the graphics, uh, I've marked it in red on the top uh, right. To rent uh, an avatar salesperson is the trillion business. So to make it very short uh, and uh, you can do a lot of much thing. And as uh, yeah, Tyler is much smarter than me we're, and really, more experienced. Yeah, really, I, I, I normally... Uh... Uh, uh, create frameworks out of Faraz's great insights too, right? Because I think he has been for the last month um, coming in with this point at different perspectives. And I think now we're putting a framework around it, which is, and it's starting to become like a, a like a, a, like a effective point of view, uh, including other insights that other people are putting in around, around the hardware and other things. And now you have a two by two. So it's kind of useful. So check hey, exactly. Cal, Cal, I just realized really, something. Really, in the near future, yeah, when you have the intent to buy something, the live streaming apps of TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube are all going to be competing <laughs> to send you a notification that there's a live stream happening now, which might even be algorithmically generated by a virtual salesperson, which is yourself even, where 
And they're going to need to have your microphone on at all times because that's what's going to give them the unfair advantage. Because currently Google has the unfair advantage of knowing your intents because you're typing it into Google. TikTok doesn't really have that. TikTok can sell you things passively, meaning you, you're just watching somebody sell shit that you didn't know you wanted or not. But a lot of the things you buy, only you know, unless you type it into Google or you talk about it in some way or another. And so the apps are going to need to have your microphone on so that they can get the hint that you have some object you want to buy so that they can send you a notification that there's now a live stream happening now that's selling that product. So you're going to think to yourself, oh, you know what I really need are these new running pants. And then I'm going to get five notifications from Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat and YouTube all saying, oh, you should watch this live stream happening now of you selling yourself those running pants. And then you're going to watch the live stream of you selling yourself these running pants, looking all fit and running around. And, you know, um, you can see them on yourself because it's this virtually uh, replicated version of yourself in the running pants selling, you know. Just just a quick note on that. Tyler, but my point, the, the key, the key Sorry. point I'm making there is they will need to get access to your microphone so that they can compete with Google because Google has the unfair advantage of that you're op uh, putting in the data of your intents into Google and you're not really doing that in other places. So they need to get access to your intent data, which they can get through your microphone. So they're going to need to have... They, your... they can also get that through if you're scrolling through a feed, for instance, and you hover over an item for it. So if you've got a you've got a mean sort of scroll speed and then you hover over an advert or you watch a video for 10% longer, then they have that data from that. So they know, oh, okay, so that was a video or an ad about shoes and you didn't skip it or you watched it for an extra second or you hovered over it. Or if you've got, you know front-facing cameras um you know who knows what they can bring in, in the future but just quickly on the on the the avatar thing i don't think it's going to be an exact um sort of copy of you or any of your loved ones because that would very quickly become creepy and i think Pete, that would be an obvious thing that people would potentially have an uproar in and that's mm -hmm. not really how a lot of these platforms work what's more likely is that it will be very similar in a way that you can't understand so it won't be your mother but it will be someone auto-generated or maybe algorithmically matched in the world that has a number of key features that reminds you unconsciously of your mother um, but isn't close enough for you to go hold on this is actually creepy you won't even know that the people that are being suggested to you know if you watch a lot of videos with blondes then the ads that you're going to get are going to be with blonde women and you won't even under understand why but it will be done subtly i don't think it will be literally yourself it will just be a perfect match for that the, a, a, a person who represents your metadata essentially of your likes but it will be very subtle yeah. I just want to add something, if I may just, um, if I may just add, just quickly add something to that. I like the idea of the whole microphone and so on, but today, more than millions of websites actually have something called Pixel, and that's what helps understand what every single person is doing on the on a website, even if it's a it's a third party website. Let's say you go on Nike, for instance, we can tell what size shoes have you been looking into, and we can tell when it's yours or maybe you're buying it for someone. So, and that currently already exists, although it's now being regulated and is kind of about to go away. But this is how, well, TikTok don't really have a strong pixel at the moment, but this is what Facebook has been using to drive our purchasing intent. Just kind of wanted to add that as well. Cool. So let's jump. I was actually, go Tyler, ahead. sorry, go can ahead, I Nicholas. Yeah. share? So 
uh, related to um, or, or maybe complementing the, the Willish role <laughs> meta, uh, framework for the sales metaverse. Um, I have another thesis that I'm forming now, and it'll probably come out as a two by two or something, a blog post not, at least. But uh, um, so Facebook is uh, diversifying from ads because they are getting so much regulation and, and scrutiny around their ads. And we're seeing the rise of e-commerce within Facebook in, in many different forms. Uh, it's marketplace and it's uh, um, social video selling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I'm seeing is they're moving towards uh, the super app mentality. So they want to become the WeChat, but they don't want to become the WeChat of the real world. They want to become the super app of the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, and uh, I just managed it to at least connect with the Instagram um, um, again, but don't know why my Twitter is not able in the moment uh, to, to be connected. And um, the point is that there are many drivers uh, which are converging to a new world, of course. And this is what, what I'm doing on a daily basis, thinking about the next world and what's going on and what is combining to a new lifestyle and new consumer patterns and so on. So my point is especially that uh, you really have with this trend to live stream uh, this disadvantage to be present, yes? And you have the simulation technology to compensate for this, yep. which is not mature now in the mass market, but will be in five or even four years. So for me, it's rather clear that we will have these avatars and they might be rented like we have subscriptions because uh, why should you buy an avatar when you can change it all the time? It's like uh, your next website, so to speak or your next uh, Twitter channel to have avatars, yeah, which are doing something for you because AI is uh, accelerating also very fast. Look at GPT-3, so and so on, because you don't need real world knowledge. You just need very structured knowledge and it's not so much knowledge you need to make a good sales uh, person about a specific category of things. And so uh, it's, I think it's coming faster than we think. Okay. And I'm very inspired I, to say it again, to give kudos really to yeah. Tyler, yeah. Uh, because also he was talking about eye tracking and what you can do with it, even the generation of uh, uh, smartphones now to uh, analyze what's in your eye, not by, only by tracking your interest, your intention, with having attention heat maps and so on, on a daily basis, uh, for, for everyone, not only for the marketers. And then you really uh, can anticipate the interest of a person before the person even knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is really okay. happening now. We yeah. got it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I've been singing this song for quite a while. So we've gotten through Would the. Would you consider Car uh, Kim Kardashian and Logan Paul uh, ushers of this golden age 100 years from now? With, consider them what? That like ushers into the golden age, like as influencers, like a hundred years from Wait, now. You know what? Yeah, there, that's that's a, this, a, this is a funny point uh, that uh, David Sachs just made on the All In podcast, which is actually it may have been David Friedberg who said um, Kim Kardashian is really interesting turning point 
in that it was the first kind of billionaire based on nothing but influence in a way, like a celebrity for no apparent sake. Right. And the fact that you could become quote, you know, very successful off of essentially nothing. Um, it, actually, he makes a really interesting point is that now it's created this whole class of people who get angry that there's the system is rigged and that um, it creates this uh, mentality of this haves and have nots and how, why, why is there, there's now billionaires who get to be billionaires. Why can't I be a billionaire? She, she did it off of nothing. Why can't I do it? And it really creates this because it used to be very clear why somebody became a billionaire. And in her case, it's not very clear at all other than just influence. And what is that? And it's created this whole different mentality about, about the power of influence. And it's, it's wild. It's a really weird dinner party conversation that we will do at another time. But you're right. Yeah. That, though the two names you mentioned and Paul Logan very notably is plays right into that as well. It's like, well, what is it exactly about this person other than being a celebrity for a celebrity sake, a YouTuber. Yeah, it's wild. It's so wild. Anyway, so getting into uh, the may tweet. I, may I say something to a related topic? For 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 uh, very quickly, yes. Yeah, so uh, did you see the article that I posted out with the Economic Times on AI learning from uh, where various artists' old works and being able to paint new works based on that? Uh, no, we we talked about the when people are, uh, when, a, when an artist dies, People are now making NFTs out of their artworks and monetizing. No, no. no. Them. So, for, yeah, so for example, there was a, the, very quickly. There's now you have AIs looking at, for example, the Mona Lisa or various Rembrandts and taking and absorbing all of the ability of the of the artists of the old ages and and the best artists in the history of the world. And through learning the works of those arts, they're able to essentially paint in the future. What, for example, Michelangelo's next paint next next painting would have been so, right i mean if if ais have the ability to be able to do that then you know recreating a celebrity for all eternity i, I don't think would be as uh, any fiat for them to accomplish i'll leave it there thank you okay yeah that's a yeah, similar with songs like people are now making bob dylan songs and bob marley songs with ais and things like that and there was a nirvana song that caught a lot of people by surprise and indeed we could see <laughs> in the not so long future somebody makes a um, a digital Rembrandt would be very easy to do. Making an actual Rembrandt, that, that might be a while before an AI can do the brush strokes because the people who really follow art could, you know, that's going to be incredibly difficult to convince um, a fake a forgery of an actual oil painting. That Now that's going to take a while for a robot to do that, but, um, or to 3D print it. So, the now we're going to get into the more interesting headlines that us real geeks are interested in. So we're going to blast through these. Um, feel free to comment. Feel free to share. You can tweet them yourself. Just include our Twitter account, TNATW, so that we can see them and retweet them. And we're going to tweet out all of these articles in rapid fire succession to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Look on my photo to see the Twitter account where we're going to tweet all these headlines now in kind of rapid fire form. And the first one is uh, from Rhonda in the audience from the Washington Post. And the headline is that uh, the robot will see you now. Healthcare chat bots boom, but still can't replace doctors yet. Healthcare chat bots have been used for years, but exploded in popularity over the past years as the system became overwhelmed by COVID related whatever. 
And I do need to bring in my buddy Johannes from Cree, which is the biggest telemedicine health app uh, born out of Stockholm. And he's one of my very dearest friends. So it's just a matter of time before I ping. He's actually popped by secretly. He's just quite uh, an introvert. But um, we'll get him in here in the next few days to just give us an update on what's happening in telehealth now that Amazon's going into it uh, in the U.S. And we'll ask him about that headline and what, how he thinks that whole space will evolve. But indeed, chatbots will then lead to video conversations. But even before that, Siri can be a chatbot. It's the voice of a chatbot. And Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant will start to be able to do all kinds of amazing medical things in the very near future where you will cough. And there's already algorithms that can detect if your cough has COVID or not as as an audio signature like Shazam. So Siri theoretically could tell you if you have COVID from a cough and you just are walking around your living room and you cough and Siri says, oh, sorry to inform you, Cal, You, you have COVID. I could tell from your cough. That could happen today. And you imagine how that hap- you know, expands out in the next few years, where it can tell you that there's algorithms that can detect if you have depression. There's algorithms that can detect if, now if you've got early stages of many things, Parkinson's disease and whatnot. And if you're in, you know, under the influence of alcohol, you can detect that in your voice. An algorithm can, det- can detect that far better than a human can. And Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant will start... Uh, making recommendations. Hey, Cal, I noticed you're intoxicated now five days in a row. Uh, I have a doctor on standby that can help you with that. And then, or I've got, you know, here's all of the, you know, you're urinating in a pattern at night that is indication uh, that you have early stages of uh, diabetes. Here's a doctor is available to meet with you at uh, in 10 minutes. If Would you like me to do that? Make that call for you. That's all coming. So telemedicine is going to become audio bot medicine very soon and it's going to be wild uh especially if you have a camera so who, in your house who's test who's tesla going to partner with to make sure that drunk drivers don't drive and give them all the data well, the car is driving oh, itself yeah. that's a great question is what about when the cars become they are you know as far as tesla is concerned they just want you sitting in the seat and they've got video games playing in the car now and so they don't really care if you're drunk or not. They just want you to be in the car. But if you're drunk, are you able to fix? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I've not heard posed before. Great question. So, um, but the robot will see you now is the article from the Washington Post that I just tweeted out. And thank you to Rhonda for that one. The next one is what's called the tipping point from the Washington Post. Again, from Rhonda. It says new vaccine mandates are being rolled out at uh, Virginia and the Mayo Clinic and in California and in New York and elsewhere. And these are vaccine mandates for government officials and employ- any government employees. So uh, could this also extend into other companies? And it is. And there are companies telling their employees you must be vaccinated to come back to work. And this is now with Delta getting really serious. This is going to get really interesting. Um, and if we could figure out what the outcomes of this will be, there's certainly some going to be some very interesting outcomes that are not yet obvious that are going to move markets in interesting ways that we, you know, that we, we, yeah, go ahead, Mahogany. And Tyler, uh, the Russian government just made the decision to hand off, uh, not responsibility, but the, the heat of getting vaccinated onto employers. I just tweeted a story about that. Go ahead and share it. It, it's it's basically like the the title says it all. 
in Russia, they're like, okay, we can't, our public advice hasn't been heated. <laughs> so we're going to make it scary from a employee perspective uh, so that you can get reprimanded by your company for not oh. being vaccinated. Washington Post. I got it right here. I just retweeted it. Thank you, Mahogany. It says, want to skip the vaccine in Russia? You could be suspended from work. When Russia's vaccine campaign stumbled, authorities dumped the responsibility on companies. And so now your company is going to force you to get vaccinated or be fired. That's one way to force people because <laughs> the government doesn't have a whole lot of power unless they put an actual gun to your actual head. But your company has exactly. something. Right. So the, but your company can force you to lose something that you perceive as value, which is your job. And so they're delegating the power dynamic to the companies, which they themselves control. So it's it's hitting you where it hurts, which is your pocketbook, which is clever. When Russia's vaccine. Yeah. And that's from the Washington Post. And I just tweeted that out. Thank you for that. Uh, Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia aren't allowing you into public places unless you're vaccinated. UAE? Just Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Just one of the Emirates. Right. Not uh, Saudi Dubai. Arabia. Right. Saudi Arabia as a whole. Right. So one of the Emirates of the UAE. Um, but Abu Dhabi and Dubai are quite similar so it, uh, it could go into dubai pretty soon then if abu dhabi's doing it yeah possibly yeah, yeah. so um mr aikio toyota uh, actually showed his concern for full chain uh, so the headline is from the verge from tomoko in japan arigatou gozaimashita tomoko-san it says um Toyota is quietly pushing congress to slow the shift to electric vehicles say what um, because it, it, they are lagging in the EV side of things, and that's going to cost them tremendous market share. And they like hydrogen, right? And they like so hydrogen. The company was yeah. an early adopter of electronic vehicles, but has since fallen behind, Yeah, as I just said. And the U.S. is slowly moving toward adopting policies that would put more electric vehicles on the road. But for Toyota, it's not slow enough. The Japanese automaker, which is the largest car company in the world, has been quietly lobbying policymakers in Washington, D.C. to resist the urge to, to transition to an all-electric future, partly because Toyota is lagging behind the rest of the industry in making the transition itself. Yep, makes sense. And why are they lagging behind? Well, my friend Peter Carlson at Northvolt told me in, when I asked him why are the Germans lagging behind, he said it's because those big car companies are led politically by their combustion engine teams. And I imagine Toyota is no different. And so he brought in the ability for the Germans to electrify by making Northvolt, by bringing gigafactory battery factories to Europe. He didn't go into Asia. I bet if he had gone into Asia and built a gigafactory in Japan, Toyota probably could start doing EVs if they could overcome the political clout of the combustion engine teams, which Germany brought themselves to do. But apparently Japan has not. And that's um, interesting to watch. Toyota had the Prius, which is a partial electric vehicle. So ha they really hybrid. should have been ahead. Yeah. But the, the and, and by the way, Peter so said precisely that, which is exactly that these companies can't bring themselves to make a car without a combustion engine. The best they can do is a hybrid, which still involves a combustion engine, because that's what the combustion engine teams are willing to compromise on. But they won't let you make the car as an EV because they won't. It can't bench themselves to sit on the bench while the car company makes a car without them because they run the company. So it's just not going to happen. 
It went was worse than that though in the press coverage that I don't know if it's in the article you saw, but also Toyota was the biggest funder of the I guess twenty Republicans that voted against certifying Biden's election. There were a lot of Twitter uh, things about people saying they're never going to buy a Toyota again, things like that. Yeah, bad PR day, the, yeah, it says the company came under fire recently after it was revealed that it was the largest corporate donor to Republican lawmakers who objected to the certification of the 2020 pre- presidential election. A majority of those po- politicians also dispute the scientific consensus on climate change. And it's what what a tragedy to see Toyota be shackled by, you know, the political uh, assumedly as, as our buddy Peter, who likely knows because he was the chief product officer at Tesla the that the these legacy car companies are be held to the combustion engine teams and they can't bring themselves to make evs in some cases uh, in part because uh not knowing how to do the bat an, an ev doing it's a fundamentally well, different they, way they of making partnered with tesla you remember yeah. the rav4 electric ev from toyota of course had had uh tesla batteries and, and electronics in it so they were even getting started early. I think they just also just made a really bad bet on hydrogen. Yeah. And that just derailed them on top of everything else. Yeah. It'll be, hopefully they'll get it together and stop being a bad guy in this space. Cause they, God knows they make fantastic vehicles that run goddamn forever. So, um, Toyota, get it together. You're a great company. Um, you make fantastic vehicles, make them EV. The whole world wants you to do it, figure it out, get it done. And um, I, on that note, I did see Tata had an incredibly looking cool uh, SUV, EV SUV, um, that uh, I was stunned how cool that vehicle looks. It's an Indian Tata. Anyway, next article from my friend Faraz, uh, Yahoo Japan works with Line. And those are the two mega players in Japan, by the way, Line um, and didn't. Didn't somebody on stage work at Line at one point? Um, oh, no, we have a friend who is still the leader of Line for Thailand, that, where it's also incredibly popular. It's the leading social app in Thailand. It's Line. It's, all, it's from Japan, where it's wildly popular. Yahoo Japan is still culturally kind of the, the it's a, a, a major force in Japan. It's run by SoftBank. And so now Yahoo Japan works with Line to launch NFT trading. So yet another day and yet another platform going into NFT trading. And I pity the incredibly small NFT trading platforms that pioneered the space that are just going to get overwhelmed by every big company on the planet is getting into NFT trading at this point. It's only a matter of days before Facebook announces they're getting into NFT trading. Yeah. By the way, SoftBank owns 50% of line. Yeah. So these are both SoftBank companies. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler, it's M.A. Hey, M.A. I just wanted to share with you because I know you might like this one, despite the fact that it's kind of crazy. It has to do with NFTs. So I, I'm, I'm not going to admit nor deny that, that Ashton Kutcher's stoner cats was on my list to stop to try and secure 22 minutes. And they were all gone. All of them. All t- 13,000 cats. Yeah. And those 13,000 cats are now literally... We're not going to just say it, but we'll say it. Trading at almost five ETH per cat in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's madness. He's literally just raised funds for that TV show, which is super badass. And one of the perpetuity things was is that if you got the cat, which is why I really desperately wanted to get that cat, is you get the updates to that show. 
that and it's a comedy it's like a stoner cat comedy uh, as an as a show online mm -hmm. and you get the updates to the show in perpetuity and never pay another dime yeah and uh, you could watch it all the time and i'm like oh my god he was brilliant with what he did for sure yeah because well there's an additional level of brilliance to that which is he now no longer needs a studio to finance the creation of content the, the consumer exactly. the consumer did and but Tyler, this is not to interrupt you, but this is also changing the narrative around how film producers, because I have director yeah, friends in it, LA, yep. how film producers and, and those that want to create could raise funding, not by going to your traditional channels in Hollywood, which would tend to be sort of a big boys club sometimes. Yeah. They're now going to be able to go into sort of this sort of grassroots sort of Sundance way to get funding to bring their ideas to life that they want. So I'm, uh, thank you for that. I mean, it's, it's, and that, that was, uh, Ashton, right? The, yep. That was Ashton Kutcher together with, uh, Vitalik yeah. and his wife basically. But the show, I mean, I saw the video of the stoner cats and I was just, I was really sad because it was just the fact that I, I love his humor. He's a great comedian. Like he's a great, he's a great actor. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like his whole sense of humor between him and Mila Kunis from like the 70s show, remember? Like, I just really believe he's going to nail it with this stoner cast, just even by the name of the, the show. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's going to have such a following. For, it's going to be like a bit of a, I think it's going to turn into a cult classic. That's my opinion. Yeah. I have a question, Tyler. Yeah. So all this, all this NFT thing, of course, NFT is, has some good use to it. But uh, those people who will be well served by this NFT are also those people who are already famous, right? How about those up and coming one, up and coming ones who have no following? How are they oh going my to God! Use Can I share NFT one more thing, help? Tyler? Sure. To Cheryl's point, I am so humbly impressed, and this is why I'm so an advocate to teach women, including young girls, about blockchain and engine game development and Unity game development. And I'll tell you why. Nyla Thomas, a 12-year-old artist, just dropped her NFT yesterday, and she had Time Magazine asking her questions inside Clubhouse. 12 years old, and she sold all her long-necky ladies. So to Cheryl's point, this young girl of 12 years old with her mother's help literally did these NFTs. She dropped 3,333, and they were all sold. And this girl is only 12. And the time person who interviewed her inside Clubhouse was like, I don't even know what to say right now. Because to Cheryl's point, yes, there are artists out there that can generate and can, can bring their art to life. The beauty of it is, is their drive and what they're presenting. And this young girl just opened the door for so many other young girls to be able to do this. I think five fathers were asking, hey, how could I get my daughters to really get engaged in learning how to create? And I think this is where the content creation future, this is where it's going. Because she's talking about metaverse. She's talking about um, derivative art. Like, I'm just like, oh my God. You know what I'm saying? Like this girl was so poised. Yeah. And she's on Clubhouse and she's 12 years old, but of course she's been her mom. So who is promoting her? her? What was that, Cheryl? Who is promoting her? Her mom was working with her. So her, her mom, mom promotes her? That bring her Not, the Times coverage? Or, or no, no, no. The Time person followed her because she's been in the NFT groups for about three months now. And her design, her the person who collaborated with her is a Puerto Rican artist. And they worked together to build her derivatives, her artwork. 
that she did the design. She did all the long neck, the long necky ladies, right? She did them all herself. Her mother was the one who was sort of mm, chaperoning her within the app. But inside that room that was that they there was about 600 people in there. The time guy was part of a lot of he was watching her work like he was watching her work on Instagram and Twitter. And that was what he was speechless yesterday because she did her job drop yesterday. And when she did that drop, what it means by doing a drop is when an artist is complete with their collab, it's a launch. they do what's called a drop. Yeah, yeah, it's a launch drop, same thing. Yeah. But in the NFT world, it's a drop. So when she did her drop, the Keith was lurking in the lurking in the audience, and like he was watching, listening to this, Very cool. and everyone was supporting her. And then he pulled another room, and we all went into the other room to support her. And what I really was humbled by was how many dads were like, my daughter's a gamer. Like, it was almost like AA, you know, like, my, I'm, I'm so-and-so and I'm alcoholics. And basically, there's so many dads stepping forward saying, hey, my daughters play video games. Uh, how can I support them? You know, how can I help? How can I guide them into an area where they could do, they could monetize social commerce? And they didn't yeah. say it in that way, but right. Tyler, this yeah, yeah. is where the narrative is going. Yeah, we, right? just, we just hope there will be more lucky stories like her. Okay. Of course, Cheryl. Of course, ninety. It's the new lemonade stand. Yeah. So. Yeah, ninety. Totally, ninety percent. Cheryl will go tits up. Sorry, I agree with you. Ninety percent will go tits up, but there will be those that'll be hungry enough to bring it forward. And inside this app, there have been many young adults and also young artists from all over the world that are really getting a lot of publicity like Tyler from creators and collectors in LA they're being asked to do collections and collaborations so hey, it's super wild Amay, back on the the stoner cats so Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis yeah, and Vitalik the they did uh 13,000 cats or how many 13,460 but I'm not counting because I'm a little I'm a little perturbed right okay so here I just did a little napkin math and you're saying they're selling for about five ETH each right let's say on average some could go higher than five I'd say about three or four let's say three or four for arguments let's say 3.5 right perfect okay so and each ETH is worth about two thousand three hundred dollars currently just say well let's say two thousand just keep it even well I just looked it up it's two thousand three hundred Got it. So then let's see what that math Okay, that to. so they did uh two they they're selling at three point five there's thirteen thousand times three point five ETH each and each ETH is worth two thousand three hundred dollars. They made over a hundred million dollars yesterday. Let me go add another piece to that, my friend, Professor X. Let's add another piece to that. When they start trading on OpenSea, he gets royalties for every trade. Sure. That's part of the NFT architecture. Yeah, exactly. So now that number gets exponentially larger. Right. So they can perpetuity. Right. And that, but the interesting bit is, is now the consumers own a bit of the production in a way that they can trade. Correct. And it's almost, almost like virtual trading cards, basketball cards, baseball cards. Was that Chris that said awards? Who said awards? No, I, I said that's like how an IPO works. Yeah, but the interesting part, I mean, the interesting part about that is that I thought you said awards and Tyler, you know where I was going with awards, right? When you start looking at Academy Awards and you start looking at the Oscars and you start looking at people to get for production, for creativity and innovation, that's when I start to see how the new awards ceremonies will be presented. 
because I'm looking at one stream. I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at the entertainment. I'm looking at media broadcast. How will that change a narrative of how film producers, directors, how that whole ecosystem will be disrupted as well? Well, the idea is that if you're a fan first before the movie comes out or is made, then, then you'll make money if you get your friends to watch it. Exactly. But now if you imagine that as it continues, it's about community, right, Andre? Because now they'll go forward. But the fact that he has so many out there, it's going to spider out. And then at some point, they're going to be worth more because to Tyler's calculation, at this point, it's 2.3. Well, here's the but crazy thing, say- Check this out. They no doubt bought some of their own cats that they will then feature in the show. And I forgot those- to tell you, you could buy 20 cats. Right. You could well, buy 20 cats. Here's my point is... They are going to create the content about these characters in a show, all right? And this show will disproportionately exactly. feature, as every show does, you have stars of the shows. And so the characters that are the stars of the show will be perceived to have the most value of, as, the cat, right. as the characters. They didn't sell those cats. They kept those ones for themselves. And those ones are the ones that are going to go up 100x in value. And so they're going to make way more than just this 100 million. Of course. And uh, right. Tyler, they could also play with that, right? They could also be very strategic and play with those popularities of the characters, right? They can play with them based on the season and the storyline. So technically, they might have some that are like the top cats, right? Top stoner cats. But they can also create some rewards and also airdrops around it, which means they could airdrop product. They could airdrop consumer products they could airdrop loyalty products but this is this is one this is one of the most clever strikes against the conventional hollywood model ever i mean to just raise a hundred million dollars for an animated series that's plenty enough funding to do an animated series by the way so but now they'll expand it because that gives them the revenue to get better even more ui ux folks and even more coders and developers oh yeah his his production team just you know exploded yeah Anyway, it's just, and I just think it's a very clever way that he did this yeah. and super strategic. But I, this is also why I was so interested in getting involved because of the utility of what Ashton Kutcher has been doing. Like he's a very I looked at him, you know, I, you've talked about him a lot, but I've been following him since the 70s show. But I've, I've I always recommend to people when they look at projects in this space to look at the team, look at the resonance of the team, look at the product that they're delivering, look about five years ahead. And I think it was Dave that said, uh, Dave said that certain people look 20 years ahead and other people look behind. Well, I, I was thinking of you, Dave, because the fashion industry looks two, three years ahead. So in selling to consumers, we look two, three years ahead. So we have to look two, three years ahead to see what will someone want to buy in two, three years, not today, two, three years. And that's a very interesting dynamic as we go into the metaverse, because people are buying up real estate in Decentraland because they are already seeing that people are going to be moving and presenting inside that metaverse when a 12-year-old is talking about metaverse in a very basic but understandable way that shows me that that girl that young lady when she's 15 years old she's going to already have like a slot of land and she's already going to be demonstrating her work inside the metaverse so this is how it sort of grows and 63 percent of the world's consumers are women and this young lady was just that she's a girl 12 years old okay so we got to move on here thank you for that Uh, i I love the update on the cats thank you so that's a great one the Here's here's the other uh, interesting headlines coming fast and furious. And for every one that we read, there's 10 more uh, that come in. Um, so it's kind of an endless waterfall here. 
uh, jurors, this one just came in from Mahogany, that jurors could use VR to visit crime scenes and help them reach a verdict. A fantastic use case I had not considered. Australian researchers are investigating whether virtual reality can help jurors make decisions at a trial, allowing them to explore crime scenes. And now you're going to have police show up to crime scenes with 360 video cameras, which, by the way, I, I got to find the one that I just saw yesterday. When you imagine these 360 cameras, you're imagining some large device. They are not. They are now getting to the size of a thick pencil where it's a camera that goes all the way. And you hold up this, you know, something that looks like a Sharpie marker and that takes a 360, you know, photo or it's yeah, it's a photo. And then that's your point of your VR where your head pivots around in 360 degrees and they can do it as video as well. So it's a, it looks like a digital Sharpie marker. And it, you can walk around with it and record 360 video. And you'll now see police doing this uh, at crime scenes, potentially. It's kind of a wild concept. So um, the next big article is uh, from India, from Nalormi. And it's about a new fund. India's first operator-led VC fund wants to power the next 30 Olympian or Olympic champions in SaaS startups. And what this means is it's kind of... A bunch of uh, Indian unicorn founders are getting together to create what they call a uh, operator-led VC fund. And what that means is basically there are two types of VCs. There are uh, what you call like the business school types that usually came from Harvard Business School or Stanford. And they have no experience themselves of actually running a company. They just happen to be incredibly good at the, you know, uh, business models and analytics of doing things. And then you have what are called operators, which are people who ran companies who now that they've run a company, they want to be a VC and help other future founders. And so this fund, which is called the Together Fund, is India's first operator-led VC because India just now is having its first you know, unicorns. And now those unicorn founders have created their own fund. So you have an operator-led VC fund. And that's where things get really interesting because operator VCs can be incredibly helpful to their founders and helping them become future unicorns themselves. So the, the golden circle is now in place and uh, India has a, a brighter future than ever now that the unicorn founders are becoming operator VCs. Cannabis, part of the future of tobacco giant. British American Tobacco says its future lies in getting people to switch uh, to nicotine alternatives like cannabis. And indeed, Thailand is considering becoming uh, legalizing cannabis farming. And my goodness, I, my mind boggles at the implications of that economically for Thailand. Um, we could have the biggest economic bounce back in the history of economic bounce backs if we do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Invia Robotics raises $30 million for warehouse robotics push. And you can see this robot, which is a triple access robot. What I mean by that is, is it moves in in three dimensions. It has a vertical dimension and you can you have to see this robot to understand its very clever solution for doing this. Um, it moves around on the floor, X and Y, two dimensions, but also moves up and down. So it can, you know, makes much more use of the physical space as a warehouse space. And we're going to see a lot more interesting solutions around uh, three access warehouse robots as we get into this e-commerce uh, game where everything's going to get e-commerceified. Next article is from Hassan, who sends in a video from Australia, where apparently in Australia, 
Australians will need to submit uh, lots of points of identification to use social media. Oh, really? Who would have seen this coming? Australians need to submit uh, 100 points of identification to use social media is what this person tweeted. It's a video. It's a one minute video that I, in full transparency, haven't watched. But it's from uh, the Today Show in Australia, and it's a one-minute video that you can watch. And it's being summarized by the person tweeting it, saying that Australians will need to submit 100 points of identification now to use social media, as predicted here in Tech News Around the World by yours truly, that we're going to need to start doing state IDs for social media very soon because all the signals are there. And now it's ostensibly started it started in vietnam two weeks ago where they're requiring social media to identify uh, users with more than ten thousand followers so influencers and it's just a matter of time before it happens everywhere for all users and uh, apparently it's starting in australia next article is from the wall street journal a sell-off of chinese technology stocks accelerated as investors unnerved by beijing's widening crackdowns on internet companies and other industries um continues so this the sell-off uh continues and the next article is somewhat related to the last three headlines believe it or not uh, from Vinay that a loss uh why china's crackdown on edtech companies uh bodes well for indian startups china wants its online tutoring companies to go non-profit the drastic move could not only destroy its 100 billion dollar edtech market but also benefit india and indeed it will as I predicted, and this headline is confirming what I suggested, which is this is going to be a huge benefit for Indian edtech startups because that's the second biggest market on the planet for edtech. And the investors who are investing in the Chinese edtech market are going to look to reallocate their money. That's what they call themselves, capital allocators. And they're going to reallocate that capital into likely India is going to be uh, one of the first places they consider to reallocate, as they should. It's the well, second that- biggest edtech market. Yeah, well, Tyler, with the drop of uh, the cost of some of the uh, uh, Chinese edtechs, the, the highest valued edtech company in the world is now an Indian company called Baiju's. There you go. And related to robots, Google, uh, no, uh, the e-commerce side of things. This is breaking news. This just came in in the past few minutes. Uh, Google announces more powerful search for online retailers. And uh, Google's bringing the power of its iconic search engine to online retailers. The company today announced uh, the general availability of what they call Google Cloud Retail Search, which is a new managed service that it gives retailers their own version of the Google search engine that customizes for their digital properties. And Google says the idea is to help reduce the costly problem that's known in the industry as search abandonment. The term is similar to, to the well-known phenomena of shopping cart abandonment, where an online shopper it begins, blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. I'm going to tweet it out. It's a long article, but this is going to, no doubt, Google is going to be a big player in e-commerce because they've got the best search uh, algorithms and whatnot, which they're going to indeed monetize towards uh, e-commerce. China's own gaming market is heavily regulated. It does not allow games that contain certain political views. And so that's why CNBC, I'm just retweeting this article, uh, Chinese tech giants are snapping up gaming studios around the world. Indeed, uh, after decades of the U.S. and Japan dominating the gaming space, China's influence is growing as its tech giants snap up gaming studios all around the world. Indeed, Tencent is the big name in that space. And they are indeed investing and acquiring lots of game studios. The issue 
that's implied here is that China invested in, in movie production. And when they do, they get final edit of everything that is said and shown in any Hollywood movie these days. And they can sh shape narratives. So um, there's no Taiwan mention of Taiwan in any Hollywood film. And so it's going to be very interesting because that's just ostensibly the beginnings of what could become an endless list of kind of uh, policies and, and viewpoints and perspectives, political views that China will insist become embedded into yeah. video games uh, as they become one of the big video game uh, owners. Cheryl? Yeah, no, I'm just saying Olympics. Uh, they call the Taiwan people Tai Chinese Taipei on their jersey, and then uh, but the Japanese uh, commentator always call them Taiwan. Okay, and then Lilium, which is um, uh, a you have to see the Lilium jet. It's a flying taxi startup called Lilium uh, based out of Germany. And they've partnered with another German company, a battery specialist called Custom Cells to power its planned seven-seater E-Jet, which is the sexiest looking electronic airplane thing you have ever seen. And uh, it flies. I've seen videos of it flying and it's freaking unbelievable. It's, it, 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 you have to see it. And uh, it's a bunch of very small jets under the wings of the airplane, for lack of a better word. It does vertical takeoff and landing. It's incredibly simple to fly. They're trying to make this, you know, usable. Vol Volocopter is obviously their competitor, but Volocopter uses blades like a helicopter. And Lilium uses lots, like a dozen little micro jet engines under the wings. And it's just sexy as all hell, This uh, these Lilium um, flying taxis. Um, so... I can't. I, I desperately want one of those here on my uh, to transport me across the little island. If here I in had to make a, yeah. if I had to make a comparison, Tyler, because I, I'm very interested in this sort of stuff yeah. now. Um, if you look at the assembly videos, you know those quick simulation video things that they do. No. Volocopter is kind of like the Volvo, and this thing's kind of like the Porsche, put mm -hmm. simply. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, the other interesting headlines at this very minute, uh, Monica had one, uh, Monica, are you on stage? She's proudly announcing unicorn number 17, uh, for India for just for the year 2021. And they had unicorns before 2021. So I think they're well into the twenties and the number of unicorns, but my goodness, tw 17 unicorns in the first half, essentially of 2021 Indian automobile marketplace, Droom. Uh, now valued at $1.2 billion, joining the Unicorn Club, the Indian Unicorn Club of 17 unicorns in just this year alone. That's just unbelievable. They're, they are just booming. It's incredible. Uh, China targets mobile pop-ups in latest tech crackdown. Oh, so another day, another new, another new arm of the tech uh, landscape is getting cracked down on. My goodness, China moves so in unimaginably quickly. It blows my mind. In the meantime, America is still doing the bills on the, the big, big four tech companies. China's figured that out in January. They've moved on to EdTech and Didi. And uh, yesterday it was food delivery. And today it's pop-ups. And they do about one a day. America, we, it takes us five years in what China's doing in a week. Um, that's an, an unexaggerated 
um, estimation of how fast China moves on these regulatory issues. So it says China order, ordered Tencent and 13 other de develop, developers to rectify problems related to pop-ups within their apps, adding to a wide-ranging list of uh, other crackdowns that they're doing. So that now they're telling these companies, you know, the, how to regulate their pop-ups that they do within their apps. And again, that would take years to do in the U.S. alone. So Chinese bike sharing startup called Hello scraps plans for U.S. IPO. And if you follow us every day, you know goddamn well why they're scrapping that IPO, because they're not stupid and they don't want to have happen to them what happened to Didi. And they're going to I can make the world's easiest prediction. They're going to IPO in Hong Kong in about six months and they're going to announce that in about a month and um, super easy prediction. Aaron, if you're still with us, you've got one about digital identities, whether government issued or self-sovereign will enable so many validated digital experiences such as the metaverse um, and whatnot. The new Digital Identity Advisory Council is established in New South Wales, Australia, as we talked about in the news video clip that I wasn't able to share because it's a video. But now we've got the actual article from New South Wales itself on nsw.gov.au so this is the actual government's webpage and the headline on their own government webpage is new digital identity advisory council is established and let's have a looky-loo at the what they call their roadmap the new south wales government has established a digital identity ministerial advisory council called the dmac d-i-m-a-c that will advise on strategic direction and roadmap for the digital identity in the state the minister for digital and customer service called Victor DiMinello, said that the DMEC brings together experts from a range of sectors to ensure personal privacy and security are enshrined in all policy making design, being able to prove and trust identity, being, ah, there it is, being able to prove and trust identity digitally is a key foundation for modern society and drives productivity and innovation. The government is implementing a transformational digital agenda, including involving the service New South Wales app and delivery of stimulus such as dine and discover vouchers and business supports grants. This is a lot, a whole lot of government speak here. We need to surround ourselves with top experts to remain ahead of the game. Privacy and trust are the hallmarks of our democracy and will continue to remain at the forefront of the service delivery. We've already demonstrated how digital products like the digital driver's license actually improve and enhance identity protection. Digital identities must be underpinned by robust fraud controls. Fraudulent identities are often used to enable serious and organized crimes such as drug trafficking, human trafficking, and child exploitation. The New South Wales Police Force has a world-class cybercrime squad, blah, blah, blah. DMAC will support the priorities laid out in the government's New South Wales identity strategy, which guides and develops the ex execution of identity product services and technologies. The first DMEC meeting will take place today and they list the people who take part in it. Um, and Tyler, yeah. Tyler yes. can, can I just say something? Uh -huh. The, the um, Nordic Capital bought out a firm in the United States. Um, I'm forgetting the name, but uh, it basically uh, manufactures software and the software records the healthcare um, records, patient records, uh, and GP records for a massive population, I mean, what would be considered a massive population for a software maker mm -hmm. um, in the hundreds and thousands of individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't that be, I mean, wouldn't that be subject to review? 
yeah. by sovereign authorities. I, well, yes. Have if, you heard of this? I know Nordic Capital very well. Uh, they're based in Stockholm. I know I've been to their office. I know I have my dearest friend. I'm st- one of the homes I stay at when I visit Stockholm is one of the, um, what, what you would call a, in English, a um, venture advisor to Nordic Capital. They're a big PE fund, but they're now dabbling in kind of early stage investing in tech as other PE funds are starting to do. So uh, your point is, this is in this example, a Swedish private equity company acquiring a med tech company in the US, which has med tech data. In this case, it'll probably go through. If it was a Chinese private equity company, it most likely would not. Just like in the UK, the UK's chip manufacturer, their largest chip manufacturer, uh, was being acquired by a company. And it turned out that company was actually owned uh, by a Chinese company. And so now the UK uh, government is saying, no, we're not going to allow that sale to go through because we don't want that to go through. I imagine that would likely be the case. Um, You're going to see... That is like we just read that headline that Tencent, which is a a big Chinese gaming company, they're an absolute juggernaut and they are huge into games. They're becoming the biggest player in games globally. And it's likely in the near future, for the reasons we said, that the influence that that China would put on Tencent, which would then put on the game company to influence the views and politics of their games, the US might say, you know what, we're not interested in that and we're not interested in the data ending up back in Beijing from these video games. Uh, but the first inst- the first step of that would likely be the banning of TikTok. Um, and we'll see if that happens, especially as they e-commerceify. But you're right. This is just an extension of the endless decoupling process uh, of our breakup of our uh, honeymoon with China. And, uh, you know, we're now in a divorce and you're all the kids and we're going to figure out, you know, who's going to get the kids, which is the data, basically. So, um, yeah, there there will be a, a, additional scrutiny on these acquisitions going forward because of the data, just as you just said for us. Yes, people are going to be like, ah, that's a med company with med tech data. We don't want that med tech data leaving the U.S. <coughs> going anywhere, particularly uh, maybe to allies. You know, that might not be an issue, but countries that we don't no longer consider allies probably won't allow that to go through. It's a fair point. So, right. um is this really software firm Power School raises $711 million in a low-priced IPO Canadian pension fund invests in uh, in a EdTech company. And EdTech's going to be huge, 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 huge all over the world. And um, schools uh, need to start paying attention. Ant Group, which is Ali, Alibaba, basically. So an ant group backed Ubox, weighing a $500 million Hong Kong IPO. There you go. Chinese companies IPOing and at the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, HKEX, where I do my monthly event at HKEX on the main event floor, uh, which I, I can't thank them enough. That is the most prestigious stage and venue in all of Hong Kong. And I'm uh, beyond honored that they allow, sponsor me to do my tech events there. And uh, Ant Group and all the big Chinese companies are likely going to be doing their uh, IPOs there for the foreseeable future because it's China's plan to do what they call the Greater Bay Area, which is 
to make the Greater Bay Area between Hong Kong and Shenzhen and Guangzhou and Macau, that whole bay, they built a bridge across, just like the Golden Gate Bridge, and they're going to kind of mimic the San Francisco Bay Area of San Francisco and San Jose and Palo Alto and Fremont and Sunnyvale and, you know, Mountain View. And... um push all of the tech and innovation into that area, which a lot of it already is, and use the Hong Kong Stock Exchange as a place where the companies do their listings because then it gives the world the opportunity to participate in those listings and um, as a beautiful middle ground between East and West. And that, that is a really interesting opportunity for Hong Kong, and we'll see if it plays out as, uh, as they hope that it will. So... Um, what what's this one here this one is tiktok expands live we did that uh a tipping point from the washington post uh from ronda government officials and health groups oh the new vaccine mandates being rolled out we covered that thank you for that one ronda and twitter aqua hires a team behind subscription news brief that was one of the big headlines of the day google revenue jumps 62 percent fueled by demand for online advertising that was one of the first big headlines of the day now cnn is also covering that and is Google tra tracking your phone is the headline. Samsung location without permission. The answer is yes, uh, the headline says. It is no secret that Google tracks your activity. Uh, oh, without your permission. Here, the headline again is, is Google tracking your iPhone, Samsung location without your permission? And the answer is yes, according to the headline. It is no secret that Google tracks user activity to provide its users with more personalized web experience. However, it does blur the lines of just how uh, transparent they are about this, indeed, uh, intentionally so, as we've covered those headlines uh, ongoing. Hong, speaking of Hong Kong, Hong Kong protester um, Tong Ying Kit, 24-year-old, um, who struck up police officers with his motorcycle while carrying a protester banner, could be sentenced to life in prison, is convicted mm -hmm. in first trial under tough new security laws, as all of the protesters who were thousands of protesters who were arrested, you know, two years ago are now having their trials. And now the first person who was trialed is uh, going to jail. And it'll be interesting to see how many of those thousands of protesters that are awaiting their trials will end up in jail. Uh, South African payments startup called Yoko raises $83 million. And it's not a coincidence that uh, African payments companies are raising lots of money because that's where they're at in their development of their tech stack where you have to build the financial layer first and that so that you can build everything else on top of it and so yet another african fintech getting fundraising and that's great iran um turning it to iran dw my favorite outlet out of europe um Dochuela says that drought water shortages spark protests in iran and we've heard been hearing that for over a week now and now it says the government has been taken aback yet poor management of the country's water resources is a well-known and long-lasting problem the water shortages spark protests and the government um uh, ha has this uh, big issue on their hands indeed because you can't just manufacture water out of nowhere and it's now a very serious political problem. And that gives Dan the opportunity to share some climate tech headlines or green tech headlines. Dan is not here. Okay, so moving on. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin met with the Defense Minister of Singapore yesterday as both leaders reaffirmed defense ties and expressed hope for future, 
for further cooperation in areas such as cyber defense and strategic communications, as they're both, obviously, this is an implied allyship in defense and cyber defense against China. That's just what it is. As uh, the U.S. is very, 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 very keenly interested in unifying all of the countries that surround China, just as China is unifying all the countries that surround India, like Pakistan and Bangladesh and Myanmar. And we are using Ericsson and Nokia, by the way, no Huawei. In Singapore. Yep. And that tells you, as I predicted, that which countries go with Ericsson in the 5G race. You have two choices, Ericsson from Sweden, Stockholm, or Huawei from China. And the U.S. is telling all of its allies, go with Ericsson. And China's saying, of course, go with Huawei. And which 5G provider the country goes with is an early indicator of whose side they'll be on if this ever turns into a hot war. So the fact that Singapore went with Ericsson and not Huawei, and now that the defense minister is meeting with the U.S. defense minister, and the headline from Singapore's own publication called The Straight Times says that the U.S. defense secretary met with the defense minister of Singapore, and both leaders reaffirmed defense ties and expressed hope for further cooperation in areas such as cyber defense and strategic communications means they're going to do intelligence collecting, meaning spying together, and they're going to work in a cyber defense network together. And you might even see Singapore join the five eyes. So you'll have six eyes, which is the allyship of cyber defense and intelligence collecting between Australia, New Zealand, the US, UK, Canada, and the U.S. wants to grow a kind of cyber NATO, and um, they want to make sure Singapore, Japan is an incredibly strong ally of America. Vietnam is uh, partnering with America, Philippines, and now it appears Singapore is on board, and that's the South China Sea. So now you got all the countries in the South China Sea allying with America and the U.K. to defend the South China Sea against China, who claims the entire South China Sea for itself. And all of the countries in the South China Sea are saying, uh, we don't think so. And if it's going to turn into a hot war, America is not as no uh, not afraid of a hot war. <laughs> if there's one country that's not afraid of uh, war, it's America. Uh, China hasn't fought a war in, uh, in a very, very, very long time. So uh, we will see how that shakes down. Uh, now that the UK has put its... Um, largest aircraft carriers in the South China Sea permanently. And the U.S. is going to, uh, we're going to see how this whole Taiwan thing shakes out. And Japan has said they're going to join in militaristically as well. So uh, your move, China, uh, go ahead and uh, the the world is denying your claim of the South China Sea. And um, let's see. Let's see who blinks first. I can tell you it won't be America. (laughs) That much we know. So uh, thank you for that article, Cheryl. And then next we've got Amazon denies report of accepting Bitcoin as a payment because the pump and dumpers are more or less just pumpers. They're not necessarily dumpers. We're super excited about pumping the price of Bitcoin. And um, now Amazon had to come out and say, no, actually, we're not going to accept Bitcoin because there was a whole bunch of people getting a little overly enthusiastic about the job posting that Amazon was looking for a crypto blockchain expert because they got some kind of ambitions in that kind of an area. But it doesn't mean they're necessarily accepting Bitcoin as many of the Bitcoin holders was hoping. So into Indonesia, Indonesian based grocery app, Happy Fresh reaps $65 million led by Naver, which is the Google of Korea. 
And Happy Fresh, um, the on-demand grocery app based in Indonesia, announced today that it had raised $65 million, yeah, largely from Naver, uh, which is interesting to see the Korean search giant getting into Indonesian grocery apps. And grocery apps and deliveries just phenomenally huge. And interesting to see them do that. Bengaluru ranked as the eighth in global list of leading technology innovation hubs. And I actually would uh, agree with that as I'm often asked to uh, comment on global rankings of tech hubs, uh, having been the leader in you know, building Stockholm and um, having helped London uh, previously. And by the way, Eric Vanderklees, who was the real leader behind building London's tech ecosystem, now has been joining us every day here in Tech News and even sent me a tip in our tip jar. So thank you to Eric uh, for that. Uh, very cool. He was tagged by... Um, David Cameron, uh, when he was running 10 Downing Street, to be the CEO of what was called Tech City. And um, and indeed, did a, you know, uh, that vision has come to fruition. London really is one of the world's leading tech hubs now. And um, Bengaluru uh, is indeed as well. I would put it in the top 10 as well. And they've been ranked... In the top 10 cities list among leading technology innovation hubs outside of Silicon Valley, San Francisco, the annual report titled Technology Innovation Hub surveyed more than 800 industry leaders and showed that COVID-19 has rapidly accelerated new ways of working, but the world's technology hubs are here to stay, although they may not be in Silicon Valley. And indeed, Silicon Valley is kind of, uh, there's a bit of a diaspora, and that's a huge opportunity for everybody outside of Silicon Valley like Bengaluru and Stockholm and Tel Aviv and um, and even Austin and Miami to some degree in the U.S. But um, I was hoping they would list the other 10 in this list, which this article failed to do. And that's unfortunate because we could have played a very fun game of Tech News Jeopardy. But we'll have to save that for another time. So... Uh, it, it... Uh, Tyler, it's there. If you scroll down, I think in paragraph four or five, it's okay. there. I'll DM it to you. I'll, okay. I'll find it let me looky, looky, looky. Let's let's do. Is it paragraph four? I see one, two, three, four. What's the first sentence of the paragraph? Let me find. Let me find it. I'm still trying to open it. Sorry. Uh -huh. I'll come back to you. Keep, okay. Keep in, in the meantime, just want to say that there is a spike in. Uh, cases in Tokyo, Kanagawa, Saitama. Uh -oh. And I think the hospitals are saying that they're running short of beds. Yeah, the, the article, Vinay, mentions London, Singapore, Tel Aviv, uh, but that doesn't put them in any kind of a list or anything like that. Yeah, sorry, I'll find the source. Uh, I'll okay, send it to you. maybe it's a separate article that it refers to, which could be the case. Okay, so we'll get that for you, and then we'll play tech hub uh, tech news around the world jeopardy so on the issue of pegasus telegram founder blames google and apple telegram founder pavel durov said that the google apple duopoly is a challenge for privacy and what does he mean by that let's let's get his quote on that uh, you got me clicking um telegram founder said that uh, oh, it's from a tweet where he says Apple and Google impose an insane 30% sales tax on all digital goods sold on every mobile phone in the world. The result, users pay higher prices, startups and entire industries get destroyed or never appear. Regulators have been ignoring this absurdity 
for 10 years. And DHA, uh, David, DHH, um, says Apple this week is getting publicly dragged for digging in its heels over its right to take a cut of subscription-based transactions that flow through the App Store. Almost unbelievably, it's also doing so in the midst of an antitrust uh, investigations. So it's just a quick tweet comment that a journalist got excited about and made into an article. And now a Tokyo-based VAAS platform is helping startups make, oh, video as a service, they're calling it, uh, helping startups make the right business pitch to investors through videos. And uh, now on a comp- we were just talking about Lilium out of Germany, the, the vertical takeoff and landing jet. And, and when we were talking about that, we mentioned Volocopter, which is also a German vertical takeoff and landing, which uses kind of like helicopter blades. And now there's another one in the headlines right now, which is an air taxi demo by a startup just posted a noteworthy video of its six rotor aircraft. And this is a Jobby and Jobby is indeed one of the leaders in this vertical takeoff and landing. And their vehicle is also sexy as all get out. And, but it uses, it looks like a very large drone. It looks like a DJI drone that you sit in uh, with six drone blades. Uh, it looks like a huge drone that you sit in. It's almost a, it's the size of a helicopter, but it has more of a drone type six mini blades rather than a traditional single or dual helicopter setup. And um, but Jobby is getting, you know, it's now between Jobby and Lilium and Volocopter. And who else, um, Faraz, you said that you're getting hot into this space as an investor. I know you are because you're friends with the chairman of Volocopter, who you kindly brought into here, Tech News Around the World, for us to do a little interview with, which that was fantastic. And is there, who besides Jobby and Volocopter and Lilium would you put in the race for vertical takeoff and landings? Oh, uh, a whole bunch of them. Hyundai. Uh, the whole. Yeah, there's a ton. Hyundai. Uh, Hyundai for sure. Hyundai. Hyundai for sure. But other than Volocopter and Joby, I don't. I, I, I don't. Think I, yeah, but the, indeed, there's a dozen horses in the race. But who's leading the race at the moment seems to be Joby, Volocopter, Lilium, and Hyundai. Yeah, that's the top four. Yeah. The top three is Lilium, Volocopter, and Joby. Yeah. And then Florian sent in an interesting article, and the title is The Connectivity Trade-Off from Social Media Misinformation, where countries of the global south hold the greatest potential for new internet users, because there's still a lot of people who are not on the internet. The problem is those people come on the internet now didn't have 10, 20 years of learning about misinformation. So they jump on to the internet, they start reading it as we see it today, those of us who've been around for decades know that this place is a cesspool of misinformation. They're coming on and they're perceiving it as an alternative to traditional media and they are more uh, easily fooled by misinformation. Makes sense? So it's a really interesting point. So uh, something to be mindful of. And data nationalization is the next headline. Has been in the works for a while. Uh, The writings on the wall, new data exchange rules could require companies to provide data to the government and other firms. And the headline reads, China's plan to nationalize private companies' data. There it is, Cal. (laughs) That's the headline we were waiting for. And we've been seeing every indication of this in, in baby steps. And there it is. Somebody put it in one clear, pithy headline. China's plan to nationalize private data, private companies' data. 
the new quote-unquote data exchange rules could require companies to provide data to the government and other firms. Yep, that's what's happening. Every indication that we see, every headline we've read over the past three months has been leading to that headline. And the question so there is- should be this- there used to be this concept in 2018 mm -hmm. where people talked about the splinter net. Yes. That the internet would splinter. Uh -huh. I think it's coming back in 2021. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And by the way, I DM'd you that article on okay. Twitter. Private DM. I got it. And there it is. And here it is. Singapore tops the 2021 ranking for leading technology innovation hubs. And so let's play. And this is from KPMG. Uh and let's see, let's let's play, shall we? Tech News Jeopardy, where according to KPMG, what are the top <laughs> 10 leading technology innovation hubs? Number one is Singapore. Thank you. Which is, by the way, clearly this list of top 10, it does not include Silicon Valley, which obviously is number one. So, ah, so it says KPMG's top 10 global rankings of cities as leading technology innovation hubs over the next four years outside of Silicon Valley, because obviously Silicon Valley is number one. So what are the top 10 outside of Silicon Valley? We already gave you the headline says that Singapore is number one. That's not true at all, but KPMG is uh, <laughs> prone to errors as such. But uh, what do we think are the other nine tech hubs outside of Silicon Valley, according to KPMG? Is it Dallas, the uh, China, Greater Bay, China? Um, China would, if you're going to say Greater Bay, you would either have to say yeah. Hong Kong or Shenzhen. And Hong they do Kong. rank Hong yep. Kong as number nine. Oh, okay. Austin. No, not Austin's nowhere near the top 10 yet. Israel. Oh, I'm sorry. They put Austin as number 10. Yay. <laughs> sorry. Stockholm, Stockholm. They didn't. Yeah, add, Stockholm. They did not rank Stockholm. Sorry, what? Carter. Right. Carter. 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 New York. Um, India, India. There is Bengaluru's number eight. There's New York. Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is number two. Paris. Berlin. Berlin is not listed. Tokyo anywhere then, yeah? Tokyo's number seven, which it shouldn't be. Oh, really? Yeah. London. Medellin. London. Lago. London's number five. Yeah, and so New York. In, in the in the order that KPMG lists them, it says Singapore, which is way off. It should be tenth. <laughs> New York as second. It shouldn't. It should be fourth. Yay! Tel Aviv tied for second. Yeah, that's actually quite accurate. Actually, Beijing is fourth, which it should actually be third. Um, <laughs> London is fifth, which it should it should be fourth. Shanghai, Shanghai as sixth, which is correct. Tokyo is seventh. It shouldn't even be in the top ten, unfortunately, as much as I love yeah. Tokyo. <laughs> Bengaluru is eighth, which is about right. Hong Kong is ninth, which I, I am hired by the city of Hong Kong to promote Hong Kong's tech ecosystem. It's not in the top ten yet. It will get there eventually uh, as part of the Greater Bay Area Initiative. It'll get into the top five eventually, but it's, it's, it's not in the top ten yet. But they put Hong Kong and Austin, which eventually will get in the top ten, but they shouldn't be. It also puts Seattle as 10th, which you could. But the real list, honestly, is number one, Silicon Valley, of course. Number two would be a toss-up between Beijing and Tel Aviv, depending on how you're measuring. Um, I would tie those two. New York and Beijing might get tied for around third. And then you do get into London and Shanghai. Tied why are, why are you denying Singapore, Tyler? It's not there yet. It will get there. Uh, <laughs> I would put Singapore as... Eighth, ninth, or tenth. Yeah. 
Isn't this report projecting out over the next four years? Ah, if that's the case, then you you could be right. Or is it because of the amount of investment, uh, VCs? If it's trying to guess who will be the ranking five years from now, they might be on to something. Um... So Tyler, when you, when you uh, mentally do your list, your own list mentally, yeah. do you speak about amount of VC money getting Correct. into innovation or number right. of yes. startups? So we in, we in Stockholm track this very carefully and the amount of investor money that comes into our ecosystem. That's our main metric that we use. Got Correct. It. Who's raised the most money? Right. So Tyler, if you scroll down, they have the 11 criteria that they've used okay. to rank these for the next four years. Okay. And then using that metric, Stockholm usually ranks about fifth globally. So the fact that they don't rank Stockholm at all, it, it depends on what you're measuring, of course. But then, Got it. And, and mentally, again, in your list, Beijing yeah. and Tel Aviv are at par. I would have assumed that Beijing receives a lot more it investment does. than Tel Aviv. But I said oh. it depends. How, when I said Beijing and uh, Tel Aviv tied for second, I said depending on how you measure them. Because Tel, Tel Aviv like Stockholm it is in very small populations creating ridiculous amounts of you know unicorns and acquisitions right so based per population you know divided by the number of millions of people Stockholm is tied with Silicon Valley in number 1 and Tel Aviv yeah, but- is uh you know, Tel Aviv ranks high for different reasons, not just exclusively on the number of imp- number of dollars exclusively. If we stuck very strictly to that rubric, then Beijing would be clear above Tel Aviv for sure. Criteria are very interesting, though. I mean, completely slightly different from what you're saying, right? Yeah. It depends on your criteria of how you want to rank ecosystems. Yeah. So anyway, the next big headline is that Apple's iOS 15, which is the next one that we will be downloading in uh, probably next month, to reportedly use facial recognition to validate ID cards. Code discovered in the latest iOS 15 beta reveals Apple's working on a security system for its upcoming digital identity feature that relies on pictures of a user's face for identity verification. Apple is set to expand the utility in its wallet app of iOS 15 with support for government-issued IDs, allowing users to carry digital versions of credentials like a driver's license on an iPhone. Uh, According to code in the latest iOS 15 beta released today, users looking to add an ID to wallet will be guided through an onboarding process that involves capturing images of their face to verify claimed identity. Oh boy, I wonder if Apple will... When you do Apple login to apps now, Apple can say, hey, app, not only can we do what Facebook does with their Facebook login, but we can verify their identity, matching their state ID and their actual face. We actually know for certain who the individual is. So Apple login will make it very simple for any app to have identity verification into all the apps. And then the government's going to say, hey, Facebook, why don't you do that? Hey, Google, why don't you do that? And hey, apps, you all need to do this. So that's why another yet another headline that indicates what's coming. So next big headline is uh, that uh, potential eyes, uh, corneal nerve fiber loss and increased dendritic cell density in people with neurological symptoms uh, as a 
long co another long covid effect that we're starting to realize is it has some impact on the optical nerve over long term just like a reduction in gray matter between your ears and tata motors seeks equal treatment from center after tesla calls for ev um, regulation changes in India. This is super interesting. I just tweeted out the article. Thank you to Vinay for this one from the Hindustan Times, where it shows this very incredibly impressively sexy new Tata SUV EV. And Tata is based in India. And India um, is giving unequal treatment to its domestic EVs. Oh, wow. Where have we heard this kind of news before? Uh, where India's preferring their own domestic uh, technologies over foreign technologies while well, they're doing that with uh, their competitor of Twitter, where they're kind of giving preference to coup and, uh, and their own native apps compared to the Chinese apps that they kicked out. And But a lot of countries do this. They have import taxes and Tesla is not in India because Elon has said repeatedly the import taxes in India are way out of whack with the rest of the world. So we, we're not going to go into India because the import taxes are ridiculous. So sorry, India, we're not going to sell Teslas in India until India adjusts its import taxes uh, on EVs to be more in line with the rest of the world. And India says, and Tata, the EV maker in India, saying, hey, India, don't change nothing. We're doing just fine here. <laughs> That's the headline. Tata Motors seeks um, uh, after Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, in the past few days sought redu reduced import duties on electric vehicles in, in India. Tata Motors said that the government should remain consistent uh, to how the rules are now, which are clearly in their favor. So now you know what's going on. Yeah. And, and just to let you guys know, Tata Motors is making a book, big push for EV. That's their big pivot. And uh, they, of course, own Jaguar Land Rover as well. So that, that's a prime driver for them to be those brands. Oh, shit. I just got a crazy DM. This is crazy breaking news, everybody. So an uh, app developer just DM'd me saying, I'm going to read it perfectly. When we submitted our iOS app for review, as you always have to do when you submit an app to the Apple App Store, it says, when we submitted our iOS app for review last time, they were literally forcing us to add login with Apple, which is their version of Facebook login, which now works with Twitter and lots of other apps. So they're now forcing apps to, ex if that, oh, I didn't see this coming and it's so freaking obvious, holy cow. So. Apple, I didn't even think of this. There's a lot of big apps out there. And Facebook, you know, has Facebook login. Google has Google login. So when you sign up for Uber or Tinder or Amazon or whatever, you have the option of logging in with your uh, Google ID or your Facebook ID or what have you. And Apple has announced Apple ID. And now <laughs> Apple is the app store that all these apps live in. So if you're an app developer, a small app developer, Apple can say, oh, that's nice. You have an app and you have a login for users. Oh, you have to use Apple ID now for your login to make your app more secure, of course. Oh, boy. Now you have to, as an app developer, accept Apple ID for your to allow users to log in. 
because it will help iPhone users. It'll make it logging in for an iPhone user. It makes the user far more better. It's just click, boom, one click, boom, you're done. Not three clicks like with the Facebook login or three clicks with the Google login. It's just boom, one click, boom, I'm in to your app. I logged in. I created an account in one click, boom, Apple account creation right into your app. But here's what's crazy about it. We just read the headline 10 minutes ago that Apple's iOS 15 is the Apple ID is facial identity and state ID backed. Apple ID is uh, digital verified identities. So uh, Apple ID login for all of the apps are now going to be verified identities into all the apps. Boom, done, checkmate. <laughs> it's already here. I thought it was going to take a year. It's going to take like three months. We'll just let that silence soak in for a second. You're speechless. Cheryl, you're speechless. I thought I lost you. I was checking whether I'm still in couples. So, um, Apple, it's, it's really interesting. That's an amazing DM. If there's any other app developers out there uh, who have submitted apps recently to the iOS App Store, please DM me if you are getting a message from the App Store insisting that you add uh, Apple ID for the login process. Because iOS 15, which we download all next month, is going to br uh, integrate your facial identity and state IDs as part of your Apple ID, which means you are verified. You're a verified user. And that means that the governments will be able to know precisely who you are on every app uh, uh, everywhere all the time. Interesting. So um, parts of Southern Europe will be baking with around 40 to 45 degrees Celsius. Holy smokes. As the most intensive heat wave of summer 2021 is on the way this week. It looks like the final days of July and August will bring the most intense heat wave of summer 2021 in Europe so far, temperatures are expected to push well above 40 C, potentially around 45 C over Greece. This will significantly increase wildfire threat across the Mediterranean region and the Bal Balkan Peninsula. Yeah, and you can see the map uh, from the article I'm tweeting right now to the Tech News Twitter account of where this tremendous 45 degree C is expected. And it's all over, oh Jesus, it covers Italy, uh, Switzerland, Greece, uh, the western half of Turkey, all the way up to Poland. Holy shit. That's wild. You're going to get the same thing that they had up in Canada. It's this uh, heat dome. Wild. 45C. They recently, yeah. they recently had tornadoes in the Czech Republic. I didn't even know that was possible in Europe. <laughs> Yes, this, this, this is getting really wild. You're going to get a, one of these tr interesting new heat domes. I just tweeted it out. You can see the map. It's the whole eastern half of Western Europe, basically. Although it does cover half of Ukraine. So it's, it's Eastern Europe and the eastern half of Europe. Wow. That's going to be nuts. So, um, and then we had Martin uh, from Apparel who joined us for an impromptu little interview to talk about uh, social commerce as they just got acquired by Klarna. And I've got another thousand articles to go through, but I also have to go to the bathroom and eat lunch. So we're going to pause and join again 
in four and a half hours for another fantastic version of Tech News Around the World. So do please join us then, and we will get into the more fantastic headlines. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.